0: Hello and welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast. I'm Simon. And I'm Don. And on this episode we are diving into... Saving, Saving Private Ryan. Welcome to the Mighty 90s Movie and TV Podcast where it is always 10.30 at night so it's time to grab the snacks from the sweet cupboard and there's too much saliva in my mouth. <laughs> Excellent Move upstairs and settle in As tonight's movie for debate is Saving, Saving Private, Private Ryan. Ryan So, before re-watching it Dom, what do you remember about Saving Private Ryan?
1: I remember everything about <laughs> Saving Private Ryan It was my absolute favourite film when I was at school When I was at secondary school uh, And I still love the film now I think it's brilliant. Like, literally, from start to finish, I can quote pretty much all of it. There's a few gaps in there, but pretty much get it word for word.
0: But tell me about the first time you saw it. Like, did you see it in the cinema or on home video? I
1: remember it on video. I had it at home. VHS video. I remember watching it thinking, this is brilliant. I really like this. I was very interested in, in... Um, World War 2 and that sort of of side of history like more modern history Um, World War 1, World War 2 and then having uh, the D-Day landings their kind of adventure but the realism of it all just the way it was put together I I just loved it so I actually watched it every day after school so I I might not complete the entire film but it would always be I had a TV video combi it would be the only video that was ever in there ever when I'd get home from school I'd go to my room and I'd put it on. I'd be doing other stuff, but I would always watch it. You'd
0: have it on in the background all the time. So essentially, this was your cleaning s- soundtrack. Absolutely, yeah. This is your smart house. Th-
1: this is almost my smart house. Yeah, completely different, but but yes, yeah, my smart house.
0: So I guess my question to you is, what's wrong with you? Like, who didn't hug <laughs> who didn't hug you enough? That Saving Private Ryan is your safety blanket.
1: Well, it did get to one point i would watched it so many times, my brother actually commented that I had post-traumatic stress disorder from all the shelling and bullet-firing, like, gunfire in the film. I okay.
0: <laughs> so I didn't, and I don't. So it was released on the 24th of July, 1998, so as we are the same age, that would make us 11. So, <laughs> then, not now, the tender age of 11... You was watching this ninety nine. Yeah, it's
1: the end of the year ninety nine, going on to being twelve. Right, which makes it so much better. <laughs>
0: but okay, so you watching it daily.
1: I was at an age where we were learning that at school, and had learned that previously at like primary school, and then moved into secondary school, and you kind of touch on it in your early years of school, and you learn more as you the higher you go up. Um, I thought, what a great sort of film to demonstrate what happened and kind of the realism of it as well. Which I know is talked about and heavily um, talked about by critics and stuff like that, especially when it first came out, about how real it was. Why Spielberg did that? That was for that exact reason. I think maybe as I get older, I appreciate it more. So I've, I've now been to Normandy. I've now been to Omaha Beach. I've been to the, the grave right at the beginning of the film. The mm. graves, the the war graves, the, the American war graves are amazingly well kept. And it was very overwhelming to, to kind of go there and see it and be there. And part of that want to go there is from say watching Saving Private Ryan and just seeing it all happen.
0: So the movie added to your first to learn more about that period of time and aided in you being interested in it and appreciating it. Yeah,
1: definitely. It was quite harrowing to be there. I only went two years ago for the first time and that's uh, I've always wanted to go. But I think watching it as a kid... You're you're watching it as the film, it is. You're just watching it as a film, so you're seeing a lot of people get shot and and blown up and die, and you kind of take it for a film as a film. The older you get and the more you learn about it, you you see it as that happened, and that's kind of what hits home a lot more. Mm. It's like when you watch a film like Schindler's List, you know, when you're a bit younger and you don't really understand kind of what happened, and you're not really sure about the historical content behind it and the facts behind it, you kind of go. It's a bit of a graphic film, isn't it? But it's a great film. And then when you learn about it, you think, it's a graphic film because that's exactly what happened. And that kind of hits home a lot more. Yeah, another Spielberg film. But yeah, just love it. So what do you remember about the film?
0: I remember nothing because I hadn't seen this all the way through. I had seen a small part, which I said on the end of our last episode, Smart House. It's a classic, which I said we I'd seen one scene uh, or two scenes I'd seen the opening sort of beach part um, and I'm not particularly sure where I might have watched it with my parents and they might have been like no this is maybe too graphic for you and even you know at that time so your parents obviously do not care about you <laughs> <laughs> unloved <laughs> and I remember watching the sniper scene where obviously spoilers but if you haven't watched it by now and you're listening to this then you're in the wrong place where vin diesel gets uh sniped and then private jackson snipes him back through the scope through his eye which we'll talk about later i would seen that scene actually at your house when your brother was watching it and i think we were there and then we went out or something like i can't really remember so besides that i i hadn't seen it I hadn't seen it I knew that Tom Hanks was in it I knew that Spielberg directed it and I knew it was revered as an amazing film but besides that I I didn't know much about it I've watched war films things like Platoon Platoon (laughs) uh, (laughs) sort of more recent ones like Hacksaw Ridge and Apocalypse Now and and some of those ones but it's not really like my go-to genre but since watching this, I watched it twice for the podcast, I am now nine episodes into Bound of Brothers, one to go, I'm lining up the Pacific next, and I've got tickets to see 1917 17, nice. uh, next week as well. So it's, it's kind of taken over my life in like <laughs> the last couple of weeks. And, and I, when you get to 25, frontal lobe of your brain develops in a way. Anyone that's listening that actually knows about this, I don't 100% know what I'm talking about, but I feel like someone told me, or I read somewhere, that part of your brain develops when you're about 25 that allows you to reflect more, and that's sort of why when we're going through adolescence, we're very careless, and as we get towards our mid-20s and moving forward, we become a lot more reflective over the past and things that we've done, and a lot more aware of ourselves. So, Simon is
1: selling a table and has left me with the recorder still on, and the recording still on, so I might just chat to myself for a little minute. He's now gone back out to sell his table and chairs from an eBay buyer. I wonder how much he's got for it. Maybe I'll add that as part of the podcast, the value of his table. He's actually giving the guy a hand to put it in his car. Which I think is quite generous, really. But I suppose if you want rid of a table, you've got to help the guy move it, haven't you? Leave your friend in a room on their own recording. (laughs) Nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're actually discussing how to get the table out the door. Without destroying the property. So that will be... That'd be interesting when I when I leave the little room that I've been left in to see if there's any dents in the wall. Oh, they sound like they're struggling. There's a lot of banging. I don't know if the mic's picked up the banging, but there is a lot of banging. So We shall see if there's any uh, wall damage when I go out of there. If it's just wedged in the door. I have to climb over a table to get out of the house. That'd be interesting. Oh, checking the payment. That's an interesting one. The payment all went through, okay. At least the guy was kind enough to ask.
0: Let's do this. Okay. Good energy. Come on.
1: We're back, we're back, we're back, we're back, we're back. Right. I had what? talked for a little while.
0: What did you? <laughs> I look forward to that. Not any, any
1: not any like there's work to, to or interesting, but I, I thought it was funny, I did a little commentary on on your, <laughs> on your sale. Oh,
0: thank you. I really look <laughs> forward to listening to it. <laughs> So I read somewhere or heard or made up, I'm not sure, that there's a part of your brain, I think in the frontal lobe, that develops when you reach about 25 years old, which allows you to reflect properly or better as a human. So you start thinking back on your past and sort of maybe being a bit more uh, thoughtful with your actions, etc., etc., etc. Obviously not the case for everyone, but generally speaking, and I think since I've and I'm a bit of a late bloomer, so I'd say probably from when I'm about 30 onwards, emotional films really get me. I was flying to Jamaica with my wife on holiday, and I thought I watch Cool Running, and was just crying on the plane. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know it was an emotional film. Excuse me? Particularly. Don, they weren't welcomed, and then they became welcomed. Dominic. <laughs> Dominic. It's overcoming adversity, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, okay. And they crash the sled at the end. They but they carry it. What is wrong with you? <laughs> you do have PTSD. it has got no
1: feelings. Other than the pain of war. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> I watched this in bed. I thought it would be the best time to watch this on headphones while my wife was asleep. My wife said, "Don't don't watch this before bed. This isn't good bedtime viewing yeah. I was like no no it's fine I'm into it I want to watch it an hour or so later I'm there just crying in bed on a weeknight I just try and compose myself <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's the the several points I was really crying it is an emotional film there's a lot of have, okay actually here's my question has it ever made you cry no ever okay do you have what film has made you cry
1: that is a good question I can't think of one that's made me cry. So you
0: don't cry at films? Films might strike an emotional chord with me, but wouldn't necessarily cry. Do you think you have an underdeveloped frontal lobe? Possibly, yes. <laughs> Knowing you growing up, you would never careless. Like, you've always been like a well-put-together guy.
1: It's not like I'm emotionally dead. These things do still like, affect me and make me think. And yeah, <laughs> and Look at me all yeah, no, like you want. know, You
0: know a lot about war. Do you know a lot about feelings? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, here's a question for you. Your interest in the film and the subject, etc. Were you ever tempted or thought about joining the military yourself? Yeah, I think so. I think growing up, seeing that, it doesn't glorify
1: it for me. But it makes me think these people have gone and done something with a sense of purpose and that's quite important to me I think is, is having a sense of purpose and meaning in not necessarily everything I do but, but most things I do and I like to make positive change and positive, positively impact on other people and I think that being in the military or like some sort of service you know I suppose when I was younger at the time I thought that was one way of doing it and then the more you kind of analyse it and look at it you think actually you're just shooting at people you don't know, you don't know. So I, that's not what it's all about I know that, I'm not oblivious to the fact that they go out and do um, humanitarian projects and loads of stuff like that which is loads of great work you know digging wells and villages that have no water and you know great 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 things like that and food drops and stuff to the most impoverished places brilliant you know that's that's what i see it is all about but also they have to go and shoot at people that they can't see and can't see them and that they've never met before and do all that sort of thing and that's the kind of the horrible Nazi scary side isn't it so yeah i think definitely when i was younger i was very much into that sort of lifestyle and that kind of film and and that kind of that feeling around it as well I'm Thinking, oh you know what actually i quite like the idea of sort of structured maybe military life but then as i've got older like you said my slightly underdeveloped that developed <laughs> frontal lives made me see that that's not necessarily the best career path or option for me because i'd rather do the humanitarian side of it and purpose and meaning rather than the go out and well, be sent somewhere into a desert or you know some pretty nasty places and have my leg blown off by an improvised device at the side of a road sort of thing you know that's there's no glory in war
0: so if you haven't heard our smart house episode <laughs> it's a lot more light than this and when I get to choose the films again we will be back on course Dominic doesn't mean to do this but he has an underdeveloped frontal lobe and is suffering from PTSD <laughs>
1: There's going to be all sorts of questions about my mental health now, isn't there? Yes.
0: Let's move in to Saving Private Ryan. Let's Let's. talk about the film, directed by the great Steven Spielberg. Too many films to mention that he has done, but you mentioned Schindler's List. Which, an interesting thing about Schindler's List is when it was in the cinemas, they banned popcorn because it was seen as disrespectful to essentially be just shoveling food into your mouth while watching it.
1: Oh, wow, yeah, I didn't know that.
0: Um, which is kind of is something that Ricky Gervais said in one of his specials about it. I wish that they'd do that in every film. Like, that is one of the most off-putting things to me, is just hearing other people essentially just feeding for the winter before hibernating, <laughs> like, while watching a film, especially when it's, like, watching emotional films. Like, my wife and I watched Just Mercy recently, which I don't know if you heard about it, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, and it's a film set in the Deep South in America, in Alabama, and it's about a young black lawyer that's from Harvard that goes down there to try and help black people that have been wrongfully put onto death row for crimes they didn't commit, that have just been set up by racist police, etc. So watching this film, which is really good, but very serious and, and, you know, emotional, and ten minutes into the film, this couple come and sit down late next to us, and just the whole way through the film
1: oh no that's that's not nice is it It's not nice
0: and sometimes so you're
1: banning all popcorn I would from cinemas or from life
0: no from cinema I like popcorn
1: it's crisps that bother me people that turn up with a packet
0: of crisps why would you do that with their own crisps yeah and then you've got it's the wrapper isn't it yeah you haven't even
1: bought that here is that allowed
0: in get rid of it you've sneaked it in
1: you you, this is some kind of crime
0: I think so (laughs) yeah this is I would pay it must be because
1: they haven't paid the right tax on on the product have they I'm reporting them next time
0: I would pay extra on a ticket to go into a screen that I know is going to be snack free
1: ooh
0: like I would or allow me to put my bluetooth headphones that can sink into the into the you know film new business venture the silent snack cinema yeah just no snack cinema Silent Snack Cinema. Okay, so, so what? So some snacks are allowed as long as they don't make noise. Like Haribo. But what? But there's the wrapper. No wrapper.
1: We, we provide it in a just
0: put cup. The, in a on cup the door, wall, pop. open the wrapper and just pour it into your hand. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, we will be monitoring. Right. If you make any noise, you're out.
0: Well, it's like a quiet place. You know, you've ever seen a <laughs> quiet place. Yeah. They just have those, they just have those, uh, like monsters in there. Just if you make help. a noise, you just, you're dead. Yeah. No, <laughs> Gotcha. So Shinner's list for Sylvan <laughs> Spielberg. Uh, e. T., Jurassic Park. Jaws. Jaws. <laughs> Indiana Jones. Was that George or was that Sylvan I think it's both, isn't it? So I say it again with more confidence. Indiana Jones I'm still not sure. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. He did it? Yeah. Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones and more. So, we have, on IMDb, it gets an 8.6 and is down as the 27th best movie of all time. They have, like, the top 250 films of all time and it's 27th.
1: So, I'm in, you know, a good place that this is probably my favourite film.
0: Yes, you're in a safe place. Okay, good. I'm happy with that. On Rotten Tomatoes, it gets 93%. It was written, which is, yeah, pretty amazing. It was written by Robert Rodat, who also wrote The Patriot with Mel Gibson, Mm -hmm. which is a good film. Mel, not so much. (laughs) It won five Oscars, including Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Editing and Best Effects. The score was done by the great John Williams, his longtime collaborator of Steven Spielberg. And he basically just, he, he is cinema music, isn't he? You think film music, you think John Williams, don't you? It's the best. Is it a true story? Yes, it's based on true events of the life of Fritz Neeland, but happened two years before the movie had depicted. It was actually in 1942. Did you know this? Yeah. Do you know deep about like, the trivia?
1: Well, actually, I think when they were doing research for Band of Brothers, originally, they came across this sort of tale of this guy and that he was sent home. So, so I, I think it's something like the guys that were in the parachute regiment for Easy Company that are depicted in Band of Brothers had met this guy who has been sent home because all of his brothers had died in war, but I think there's more of them.
0: I'm not sure. So was Band of Brothers planned ahead of Saving Pirate Ryan and then they, did save, they got the story of Saving Pirate Ryan and then did that first?
1: I think they were doing a lot of the research into all of it um, because they connect so there's obviously same right rounds about the D-Day landings or begins at the, the D-Day landings Band of Brothers is just before that so it's, it's kind of just before so although it covers all of their training and stuff like that when they go to war it's actually the 5th of June and D-Day is the 6th of June like the night of the, the 5th into the 6th so it's like early hours and then they're they're there throughout the morning and then the landings happen so you've kind of got the Band of Brothers side of it, although it was filmed later, happened sort of just before. Same Brian Ryan actually, like
0: the D-Day. Let his be kicked off saying that and talking, bringing up Band of Brothers. To watch them together is quite good because it does feel like it's within one universe. Not like there's in the Marvel universe, yeah. but <laughs> it feels they they do kind of tie together. And the fact that they leave out the Omaha Beach part it kind of works well because it's like, well, actually, we don't need to see that because we've you, you, seen that done already. Yeah. So if you think of it as one, that as that's sort of the way I've been thinking of it. it it's really interesting. And it has been really interesting to me in general for all of these reasons and, like, the, the emotional side of it. And especially in Bound of Brothers, you get longer with the characters. So when there's, like, a death or an incident, I can't say it hurts more because... Maybe that's a testament to Spielberg's filmmaking, because you feel so much for the characters in Saving Private Ryan, that when some of them come to their end, it's heartbreaking. And the fact that no tears fall from your face, it really makes me question you as a human. do
1: pin this back on me, <laughs> being some sort of robot. It still evokes an emotional response, I just sometimes don't outwardly present it. T-1000. <laughs>
0: but... <laughs> liquid metal mate. liquid metal so the budget was 70 million and the box office gross was 482 million so it's a pretty good return on investment there there is an alternate version did you know this
1: oh no I did not
0: cut for German TV which cuts most of the violent scenes wow so I'm guessing it's about a two-minute film. What's the point? <laughs> I've always been inquisitive about this as to how Germany view the war in terms of, I'm assuming it's like the shame of the nation, but how how it's sort of taught in schools to, to kids now because obviously that was then and it was under a dictatorship and so on and so forth. I, I wonder how they feel about the history of it in, you know... It's like history's eight, always
1: written by the winner isn't it so it's always going to be quite heavily swayed in one direction mm. they're bad and evil we're good and saviors but yeah i, I get what you're saying because i'm quite similar in that i don't know what they get taught but it'd be fascinating to know
0: and as much as britain and america are seen as you know the heroes in this it's not like our slate is exactly clear from, you know, just going in and pillaging countries from all around of the world and demolishing the homes and land of indigenous people and pillaging and stealing. And basically the British Empire built on blood of others.
1: Colonialism. Let's, yeah. call, it, let's call it that. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, I guess all history in is painted in... With some rose tinted glasses, I would imagine, in the country that it's in, if that makes sense. Ooh. Yeah. No one's innocent here. It has a running time of 169 minutes, so two hours and 49 minutes, which is actually a bit shorter than I thought I had envisioned it was gonna be. The filming locations were in Ireland for the Omaha Beach sequence, in France, in London, and then in Hatfield in Hertfordshire, which is literally like five minutes from where we're sat recording right now, which. I knew that parts of Band of Brothers was filmed there, just from hearing about it, but I didn't realize Saving Private Ryan was. Yeah,
1: I think the scenes where they were in villages and stuff like that, and they have to build houses and it's raining quite a lot. You know, just before, sorry, just after the sniper scene in the tower. Mm -hmm. I think that's all Hatfield.
0: Yeah, and from what I was looking, I think from my research online, the climax where they're holding the bridge, ain't that's in Hatfield. Yeah which is crazy. It's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing.
1: it's just round the corner. But uh Tom Hanks and Matt Damon have been to Hatfield.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just hanging around the gallery. Yeah. <laughs> Going to TK Maxx. <laughs> Has that not ever made you want to go to the filming location to try and go and see I don't know if any, I don't know if there's anything left there, but to go there as cuz you're doing it so close. Oh, definitely
1: it's been a long time obviously since it was done yeah I'd love to go and have a look around if there was anything there or see if it's like the landscape is still kind of the same or if there's any bits left over but I don't know whether it's all like university campus now and all because it's old to have a land fields and stuff which I think they ended up building on a few years ago um, which is all now university property so I don't know whether we could make it but we could try
0: I, was, I, I don't know Field if... trip yeah, literally to fields. I don't know if there's even some of the scenes where soldiers are walking through some of the fields. I don't know if some of those were in Hatfield because looking at the background, some of it looked quite Hertfordshire for sheer countryside-like. My wife and I have been, well... She has been, because I have made her go with me, to quite a lot of filming locations, the things that I love. Like when we've been on holiday in certain places, like we managed to find the Lost Beach, you know, the beach from Lost. Yeah. And I literally, when I saw it, when I finally, we like, turned this corner and there it was, like, you can, so it's because you've watched hours of it. You just sort of recognise it. And I saw it and I couldn't control my body. I just started running towards it, like, as fast <laughs> as I could, sort of my arms like just just, <laughs> and then I just got there and it's just trees and sand and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I made it yeah. <laughs> it was actually amazing that specific, ver- specific story because you turned around and there were giant sea turtles all along the beach oh, wow. and as far as you could see in each direction like a mile sort of each way no one like you, we had to hike to, to get to this beach like it was quite out in the middle of nowhere yeah where, where it, is it? It's in Hawaii. Okay. Amazing. But considering this is not on the other side of the world to us, like, maybe we should try and find it. We should try and find these fields.
1: Yeah. Let's do it. Excellent. Field trip planned in.
0: Exactly. So, it was filmed the 27th of June to the 13th of September in 1997, so it's actually quite, well... Sort of an average shooting time of like three months. Yeah. And then was released about a year later on the 24th of July, 1988. The main cast is huge. It's a great cast. Um, Tom Hanks, who obviously we all know from Big, Forrest Gump, Philadelphia. Toy Story. Toy Story. <laughs> lots. Everything. Road to Perdition. Cast Away. The Terminal. Oh, the Terminal! I watched some of that the other night. It's brilliant. <laughs> he actually directed an episode of Band of Brothers.
1: What? Well, him and Spielberg were executive producers on it as well.
0: Tom Sizemore, who I knew the I knew the name and I knew the um I knew his face. I didn't really know where I knew him from. Uh, he was in Black Hawk Down, another war film that I've seen. Good film. Interesting story about him was he really really wanted the part. He was, like, petitioning for it and really wanted it with, um, from Spielberg. But he had a drug problem at the time. And Spielberg said that he would give him the part, but he had to be drug tested every single day on set, which I think was also kind of like an aid into helping him get off of, get off of drugs wow. to have to, you know, be clean for, for that period, which he did successfully. And then, unfortunately, later on, fell back to drugs but it's brilliant in this film he's yeah. one of my favourite characters we'll, we'll talk about that I guess did, <laughs> did you know Tom Sizemore or I guess with this was this your first introduction to him
1: first introduction to him probably but then when you sort of see him in other films um it, it makes me think of him in that which I think he's really good in in Saving Private Ryan there's a lot of films out there that he's not so great in probably because of the drug problem but no, fair play to him and Spielberg for making that work.
0: I just have to add on a note here that I think that Spielberg is probably my favourite filmmaker. I like a lot of filmmakers. I'm a big fan of Tarantino. But there's something about Spielberg films that feel like this is the complete package. I mean, taking Saving Private Ryan out, but looking at the other films, uh, E.T., Jurassic Park, they're appealing to everybody and they have great arcs, and I, I, it's just, I don't know, he's just a different, he's in a different league, I think. Yeah. Or, and this is like him in his prime, like yeah. in the 90s. Absolutely. Edward Burns, I've put here in my notes, nothing I really know, like <laughs> what I know him from. Did you know much of him?
1: I, again, he, if I see him in other films, I think
0: he's in Same Private Right. Barry Pepper, who was Private Jackson, the sniper, he was in True Grit. Maze Runner, The Green Mile, which again is with Tom Hanks, Adam Goldberg, who's great in Friends, (laughs) Vin Diesel, enough said, Giovanni Ribsey, who is in Gone in 60 Seconds, which of course is part of my cleaning playlist, and in Friends as well, as Phoebe's brother, and he's gone on to have lots of success, he's in Sneaky Pete on Amazon, have you seen any of that? Yeah, me neither. (laughs) Ted Danson, Paul Giamatti, who is great, but it's basically the same guy in every film. (laughs) Just a bit like,
1: disgruntled,
0: older man. (laughs) And he has a great voice. Yeah, he does, yeah.
1: Yeah. Tash. Mm -hmm. Really good Tash in 7 Bright Ryan. Yeah.
0: (laughs) No, he was good. He had some good, sort of funny moments. that's something that, that we'll talk about as we go through, but, it had, there's a lot of, Subtle humor weaved into Save in Private Ryan that I wasn't expecting. I think that's some of Spielberg's brilliance that you're dealing with such emotional, h- harsh subject matter and then manages to weave in elements of, you know, that you can laugh at, but it's not like at someone's expense. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Balances it out. These are kind of young lads that have gone to war and are going to
1: make fun, take. Take the mic out of each other and say things that are funny and silly and talk about girls and women and and I think he's captured that sort of more human side really well. Which,
0: like you said, he does in pretty much everything, doesn't he? Everything he makes. So yeah, it was really good. And even elements like in we'll get to it, but in the Omaha Beach scene where the soldier gets shot in the helmet. And then someone's like, you lucky son of a bitch, and then he takes it off, like, oh my god, and then he gets shot in the head. <laughs> that sounds harsh, That I'm thinking that that's funny, but it's sort of like, it's a, it's a dark humour moment, you know? Um,
1: yeah, so it's like, ding, you lucky bastard. It's Vin Diesel that oh, says is that. It
0: lucky bastard? Yeah. This is the thing that I'm also worried about doing this thing, is that, right, you. you're going to know all, yeah, word for word.
1: <laughs> but you're right, it's Vin Diesel that says lucky bastard, he takes the helmet off and then, yeah.
0: And, and other parts like where they have the wrong Ryan, yeah, like that's, that's really like good, yeah. that's like a that's that's a comedy moment, really. And the guy
1: that plays the wrong Ryan,
0: from Two Guys a Girl and a Pizza Place, he's in that.
1: He's in uh, Firefly. He's in um like loads of stuff. He's in a program now where he plays like a rookie cop. Okay, but he's is a lot older, and that's part of the show is that he's an older rookie cop. Right. and stuff like I can't remember what it's called, but. Um, I watched like an episode on Sky Atlantic, which was quite good. It was alright. But he loads actor, of stuff.
0: Yeah. Loads of stuff. And then we have Matt Damon that turns up sort of towards the end of the second act and obviously is in Goodwill Hunting and you know his born trilogy and all of these other things. Something about Matt Damon is they specifically wanted an unknown actor for that role. But Goodwill Hunting came out just before this, and made him like an overnight sensation, and obviously Oscar-winning, etc. So he actually became famous just before *Saving Private Ryan* was released. I have a
1: fun little bit of trivia about the filming of *Saving Private Ryan* and Matt Damon. Let's get it. You might already know this from the deep dive, but do you know he wasn't allowed to socialize with the rest of the cast? Yeah, I love, I love that. I got that. So that, that they all get that sense of why are we doing all this work resentment yeah, yeah for this one guy because um, Spielberg wanted it to be as real as possible so he wouldn't let them socialise together and bond or do any of that so what their first meeting is when they first meet him in that field that's uh, great where they blow up the half track tank
0: that's great and again this is just things to show or elements to show that Spielberg He's is a genius is, yeah it's just next level <laughs> Okay, so there is so much trivia about this that I started going through and getting ones that I, that were interesting to me and then I just stopped because I figured that that's not really what this podcast is about. This podcast is about us going through the film, talking about what we like about it, having a conversation about it as a whole, you know, and, and enjoying those parts. It's Dom's new chair. Sorry. <laughs> so... We'll go through some of these and then by the sounds of it you'll know lots of bits as we go along anyway. Two German soldiers that are trying to surrender at one point are actually Czech and this these, this was a good little history lesson for me that there were sort of people in Central Europe in Czech Republic and other countries that were sort of taken as prisoners and then sort of forced to be part of the German military and so they're actually saying we're not German we're not German we're not German and then they get shot.
1: Yeah. And what did he say what did he say look I washed for supper which is quite funny because that guy's got an accent so he's not American <laughs> so you, you, you've got a, a non-American being an American soldier killing non-Germans who are being German soldiers so it's quite a strange little link there but yeah it's, it's a very quite poignant moment as well because they they're hands up as well which means they're surrendering and it still happens and obviously that's then seen by Captain John Miller, so Tom Hanks' character, who then just sort of looks at it with sort of shock and disgust, but then carries on with what he's got to get done.
0: Yeah, people going, that that's where the line is now. But in some regards, you understand it, because people have just seen their friends like blown to pieces, and they want to get... They want to extract revenge. Not saying that like, that's the right thing to do, but mm. also, is there a link to Die Hard there? Hans Gruber, Alan Rickman, British man, playing a German man. But then when he meets John McClane, he's then playing an American. Bill Clay. <laughs> <laughs> the Omaha Beach scene cost eleven million dollars to shoot. Involved over a thousand extras and took four weeks. Many of the extras were amputees so that, you know, it was more realistic or they could, I guess, sort of take off their... Prospo- their oh, God, I'm going to be able to say that word. Prosthetic. 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 Prospe- prosthetic. prosthetic. Let's say it together. Prosthetic. 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 Yeah. Okay. What was it? Prosthetic. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to take off their prosthetic. What prosthetic? Prosthetic. <laughs> they can take off their prosthetic. Their prost. Is it a purity? Prosthetic. Prosthetic. That's it. Prosthetic. Limb. limb. You said over it. I can't edit that now. <laughs> prosthetic limb. And then it looks. Uh, it's more realistic.
1: So there's one moment where there's a guy who's sort of looking around. He's got. He's got an arm missing. He's looking around. He picks up the arm.
0: Okay, right. Yeah, so he's, he's probably he's one of them. Yeah, amputee. Yeah. All of the main cast underwent a grueling training camp, and as you said a minute ago, except for Matt Damon, to create tension between them. Spielberg claims that none of the Omaha Beach sequence was storyboarded, which is insane.
1: Ooh, I didn't know that. That's mental. That's
0: insane. It's like Free for all. Yeah, or just, just picking things up on the fly. Or, this is what you
1: got to do. Go.
0: Yeah, you do this. Let's see how it goes. Does it look good? Yep. Yeah, okay. You do that. Move forward. I guess in some ways we know that they just need to get up towards the beach, but that's such a complex scene and there's so much going on. And you've got over a thousand extras and you've got the main cast. That's it's crazy mm. to not have that. Yeah. Storyboarding
1: all that sort of control that you have to have, but it's probably quite difficult to have when you have that many people to to direct. Wow.
0: Good fact. It just speaks to Spielberg's confidence in himself as a filmmaker. This film lost out of the Best Picture Oscar to Shakespeare in Love, which is considered one of the greatest Oscar controversies in history and apparently has a lot to do with Harvey Weinstein campaigning for Shakespeare in Love to win the Oscar, because that was a film from his production company. Wow.
1: If only they knew then
0: right. what we know now. Right. <laughs> Which is insane, because, I, I mean, Especially. I actually haven't seen Shakespeare in Love, of you? Not all the way through. Enough said. So, <laughs> Edward Norton was offered the role of Ryan, but turned it down for American History X.
1: Which, I mean, to be fair, American History X is a great film yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Not imagine either. Matt
1: Damon in that. Weird. Yeah. <laughs>
0: but you could actually imagine, well, I could anyway, I could imagine Edward Norton playing Brian. It's that same kind of like, not that Matt Damon doesn't look untypical as a soldier, but maybe a bit more vulnerable, maybe. No, I don't know. Maybe Edward Norton would look more vulnerable than Matt Damon. What do you think? I don't think it's about
1: that character being vulnerable though because there's a slight disaffection, isn't there, from the, from, from Ryan in that he is being ordered to go home and he's like, I'm, I'm, not, do it. To I'm not doing it because these people are all I've got left now so why would I abandon them? Yeah, these and are I think my brothers. Ed, Edward Norton would come across just as, like I said, disaffected or, or difficult or challenging and uh, I think as Matt Damon would. I, I don't think that would be terrible casting.
0: The role of Ryan feels vulnerable to me because on my first viewing I was worried he was gonna die.
1: Oh yeah, okay.
0: My fear was that they were gonna do it all and then he was gonna die anyway. And yeah. it was gonna be this well, war is cold, you know, this this is the stuff that, that happens. The mission is the man. The mission is the man. Yeah, exactly. Um but no, I think Edward Norton would be great in that role as well, but yeah, I mean, Matt Damon was brilliant here. Yeah. Vin Diesel's role was written specifically for him after Spielberg saw him in Strays. It's probably why he was the first to die. <laughs> what?
1: Out of the eight that go. Why? He's the first to get killed off. Why? Uh, d-
0: <laughs> Are you a Vin Diesel fan? Not a massive fan. Are you a fan of the Fast and Fur- Furious fan tries? No. <laughs> I watched the first one And I've watched
1: Like three after that Okay So I have watched them I'm not just saying I've watched one And I'm not going to watch any more
0: You've drifted in Tokyo
1: I have I have absolutely have And I kind of think When you get to seven You've done enough And another one's about to come out isn't
0: it. Yeah nine You know it's just Yeah not for me Mel Gibson always comes back to Mel you doesn't it I love Mel Gibson don't you? I, I don't I really don't <laughs> you do. Do, you know, do you know what I I what pains me is I grew up loving Mel Gibson Yeah you and I as one of one of our bonding sort of film franchises was Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon. But now I I don't even know if I can watch Lethal Weapon it is difficult it's hard it, it, when you think about it in those terms with Harvey Weinstein, it's like, it's even hard to watch, you know, like Pulp Fiction, all of Tarantino's back catalogue up until, I think, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was his first film with Sony, I think. Yeah. It's difficult because you know that you're paying into a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Mel Gibson and Harrison Ford were considered for Tom Hanks's role. Didn't know that. Matt Damon's story about his brothers was not scripted and was improvised. The story when he's talking about one of his brothers is is with a woman in the barn and him and his other brothers, don't do it, you're a young man. That is crazy to me that that was improvised. I mean, it was acted so well by him. I mean, we'll get to it as we go through, but it was acted so well and he must have practiced it, though it was improvised. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Must have... Or you, you would think that he would have had something in his head, like, this is what I'm going to say, or this is what, you, you know, this is kind of the angle I want to play. We'll see how it goes. And then just
0: come out with it. That was actually one of my favourite scenes in was the it? film, because the way that he told the story seems so natural, the way he's sort of, like, laughing as he's trying to, like, get through it. Yeah. But he's also then realising that his, his brothers are dead.
1: Yeah. Well, it comes to, like, a crashing end at the end of the tale, doesn't it? Because he, he says that he talks about they throw a throws a shovel or whatever hits a, a kerosene lamp the whole barn goes on fire uh, and they're having a little laugh he's having a little laugh like he said and then he said that was it that was the last day we were one of the brothers then went on basic training the next day so that was the last time they were all together and then it kind of hits home so you've got that that kind of high elation and it sort of peaks and then it like really dips after that and you kind of think oh wow he's done that really well as, as an actor to go I'm really, you know, this is a really good story and it's really quite funny and then all of a sudden reality sets in. You know, oh yeah, actually, yeah. So the fact that it was improvised as well is well done,
0: that Damon. So there is so much more I could go on for hours but let's get into the movie itself. There is tons online of trivia if you're interested. what you really want to know is what me and Dom think of the film. So let's go in to Saving Private Ryan. We're an hour and six minutes in and we haven't started the film.
1: Yeah but a lot of that was you
0: selling a table (laughs) Okay So Opening scene We are in The the grave Site
1: The, The Omaha War Memorial
0: The Omaha War Memorial And we've got An elderly gentleman walking through And we have His family walking behind him now, knowing that, obviously, i only watched this for the first time in full, for this podcast, I automatically assumed that that was Tom Hanks. It got me. It twisted me out. Ooh. I assumed he blue eyes. Like, do you think that that was, I assume that was, they did that on purpose to cast Matt Damon Ryan's role to, you know, be what you could see Tom Hanks looking like as an older man.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think you've also got the... Because it you go from the old gentleman looking at the graves, no content, and then it blends, doesn't it, then into Tom Hanks on the boat. That's it. On the way over. So you're going to be thinking, that was Tom Hanks. But if you're into your history and looking at things from a military badge point of view, the old guy has a little eagle, in fact. You can hear my keys. You can hear it. That is the 101st Airborne symbol, uh, which is an eagle on a black background. Uh, it says Airborne above. And the guy, the old gentleman that walks up to the grave, has a little pin badge with that on it. And then when you skip to Tom Hanks in the boat, he has his, obviously, his second Rangers symbol. So it's like a diamond, blue diamond. And it says Rangers across the middle. So if, if you notice these things, you would notice that he is, that's not the same person. Because they're different units.
0: And this is why I'm nervous to talk about this film with you. You're showing me key rings right now of this stuff.
1: Yeah. This, is, this is so when I went to Normandy, and I, I so Normandy's massive in, in terms of like this film and the, the beginning of Band of Brothers and stuff like that. A massive fan of the films, but massive fan of obviously history and the, the show. So I, I love the symbol and wanted to get that. I've also got it as a quite a big badge on my, I've got pinboard at home. Yeah, like that, and it's it's on the pinboard, so, yeah, very special symbol. I've got other ones as well, but this is the main one.
0: It's cool. It's very cool. Cool looking. Well, that's good, <laughs> but I'm, I'm guessing that they didn't think that most people would notice that. Oh, when I, I first mean... watched
1: it, I, I never noticed it. You know, it took a long time for me to get to that point. It wasn't until probably started, the Band of Brothers came out and I started watching that, that I realised that he had the, the little badge on so you go back and watch it and it always got the little badge and you if you watch it again
0: you'll see it well that's good and that but that goes to show it, it's layered and it is detailed mm. to, to keep that stuff in so as you said we then go through these blue eyes into of the old of the older guy into Tom Hanks's blue eyes in uh, at the back of one of the um, boats going in to Omaha Beach and I text you to say just put on Saving Private Ryan and then you text me back the first line of dialogue. <laughs> I did, yeah. Which is? Well, the first word spoken in the film
1: is by the extra that says Dad. Right, in the grave. But the first, but the first proper line is Clear the ramp. 30 seconds, gotta be with you.
0: And then this is the point where you've got soldiers throwing up in a boat because essentially they are maybe going to their death. You've
1: got a combination of things. You've got fear, you know, worry, panic, seasickness. Adrenaline. Adrenaline, all sorts happening.
0: People start getting shot. People falling out into the water. The bullets are obviously going through the water, people drowning, like a, a guy just drowns underwater. Um. So all, all their
1: equipment's actually really heavy. They have a lot in their packs, and obviously their weapons as well. Um, so you see him sort of furiously trying to take the pack off and, and get all his equipment off of him. He's got ammunition, he's got all sorts, and it just weighs you down. And it's just obviously all their um, clothing as well. The, you know what clothing is like, the wetter it gets, the heavier it gets. So it's just obviously it just pulls you down. So it just pulls them to the bottom of that part of the channel, and yeah, they they drown.
0: Soldiers sort of move move up onto the beach, and then this is where we get some of the horrific initial scenes of uh, as you, as you said earlier, people. There's a guy that's has had his arm blown off, and then he's just walking around, obviously like in shock, just looking for his arm, like he's just looking like where he's misplaced his keys. You've got other people uh, that's like crying behind. Sort of barricades and people sort of with their sort of guts and innards sort of in their hands that so they don't even sort of know what they're looking at. People crying out for like their mothers, which is a theme that carries across into Band of Brothers as well. That's like happening quite a lot that when people are near death, they're calling out for their family, and it's a lot. Yeah, this is a lot. This is a lot to be watching in bed on like a Monday or whatever.
1: I mean, as as a first. Five minutes of a film, it's a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on. And I know that that... When they showed the film originally, when it first came out, they showed it to veterans of D-Day. And a lot of them struggled to watch it because it was so real. And they they didn't handle it that well. Which, again, is a credit to Spielberg for making a film so spot on. And it's the first war film where... It's almost from the perspective of the soldier. Sort of like running up the beach and stuff like that, and the camera's ro- running around like wobbly and is, is moving around a lot. So it's the first time you get that in a war film. It's not static, and you're not watching them run up the beach, and the camera pans and it moves across. It's like you're that soldier, and you're running up the beach and so on and so forth. And there are shots obviously that change, and you're looking at Tom Hanks and stuff like that. But for the most part, you're it's kind of through his eyes, isn't it? working his way up and watching people get blown up and there's the guy with the flamethrower that gets shot and it goes and explodes and causes all sorts of problems.
0: Well, Spielberg actually said that he wanted to make this, uh, apart from it being a, a tribute to that time and, and the people that lost their lives, etc., as a tribute to his ageing father... That I'm assuming was um, a war veteran, or you know, was 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 around around in those times. So I think he purposely wanted to make it feel realistic, like you said, as to not be like a diluted version and to be to honor the the subject matter and and the people. Yeah. We then get to Tom Hanks rendezvousing with some of his patrol, or if not, am I using the wrong words? Patrol the right.
1: Come it's on, fine. it's fine. Tell me. <laughs> no, it's fine. Patrol's fine.
0: I'm saying, "What do we do, sir? What do we do?" And he's sort of in a little bit of shock himself, a bit disorientated, and then he sort of comes through and he's saying, "Everyone needs to get up the beach. We're basically like sitting ducks here, and unless we move up, but there's literally, I don't know what kind of gun, but just big old machine gun, just just ploughing through people. It's
1: an MG forty-two,
0: right? Just And it just doesn't even seem fair. You had a good fact that you told me. Maybe it might have been off microphone at the end of the last episode about this. I don't know. It might have been on our small house episode about the Canadians. Yeah. Uh, Well, Omaha Beach was the
1: bloodiest. So they they had several different beaches that different nations were landing on. So you had Omaha, Utah, Gold, Juno, and Sword. With the the code names of each beach, and Omaha is where the Americans were landing. Obviously, that's why the film and so on. And it was the 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 bloodiest beach in terms of the most death um, to happen at the same time. Even though they all landed at the same time, it had the most concentration of firepower from the Germans. So the Germans actually weren't expecting the Americans like D-Day to happen. Or not to happen there. They thought it thought it would happen in Cherbourg, further up in France, and it happened in Normandy. Um, and it just so happened that the that Omaha Beach, what they designated Omaha Beach, had, was basically had the most firepower on it from an enemy point of view, and was the most deaths on that beach itself. Um, but like Juno Beach, I believe the Canadians landed there, had like basically minimal resistance. They could just like run straight up. I mean, quite a few died, but nowhere near the catastrophe of Omaha Beach and the land at that end.
0: The soldiers continue to sort of move up and they manage to get to um, sort of like, not a ditch, an upward ditch. Uh, what would you call that? Like a bank. Yeah, like a bank. They sort of get to a bank. Yeah. And this is the scene where Tom Hanks is next to some of his guys and then he's next to a guy that's on like the radio or whatever you'd called it. Radio, yeah. radio yeah. and he's sort of, you know, asking for support or airstrikes or whatever, and Tom Hanks sort of is pulling him over, be like blah blah blah, blah, blah and pulling him back and then speaking to the guy on the other side blah, blah, and then pulling the guy back blah, 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 and go back <laughs> to the other side and then pulls him back again and the guy's face is just like caved in. Yeah. Which was pretty shocking. Like I don't know what happened, but his face is like It's horrible. And then Tom Hanks tried to take the radio up, and the radio, a bullet has gone through that as well, so he's not able to sort of call for support or to be reporting back on what's happening. And this is a point where Tom Sizemore's character is with him. Is that right?
1: Yeah, they're next to each other.
0: And maybe foreshadowing in in some regard that Tom Sizemore's character, whose name is... Sergeant Horvath. Is... Tom Hanks is number two, like, the whole way through. He's always championing Tom Hanks' character, whose name is... Captain John Miller. And he is always supporting whatever his decisions are. He has a lot of respect and compassion for him.
1: What they get later on in the film, he talks about how long they've been together. Because a the whole theme throughout the film is that they don't know anything to do with... Captain John Miller's past, the way he's from, or what he did as a job back at home. Sergeant Horvac makes a comment that he's been with him since the Kasserine Pass, which is another event that happened in the Second World War that was, again, another bloody affair that wasn't quite a successful operation. That they go back a long time. And obviously, you see here the little pots of soil. We've mm-hmm. so got France, Africa, Italy. So they've obviously been around quite a lot together
0: this is also around the same sort of time i might be getting some of this out of order but where um we see giovanni ribsey's character whose name is
1: Owen wade
0: who's playing the medic and this is a part where he's over someone that's been shot and he's like we stopped the bleeding we finally stopped the bleeding and then bang the guy gets shot in the head well, there's three medics isn't there working on that one guy Uh, And they're doing
1: absolutely everything possible, even to the point where he lifts up another body, doesn't he, at the time. And then this machine gun fire shoots into this other body. And do you notice the medic gets hit in the leg? Ding! And you see his water spilling out of his canteen on his leg. And he stops helping to then put a patch on his own leg and start... Because he's been shot in the leg, basically. Or like, like it's gone into, into his leg or through past his leg. And you start seeing all this water pour out. From his canteen because it's gone through his canteen into.
0: and this is where Giovanni Ribisi is just like, just give us a chance, yeah, like just it, that's that's the first sort of point of this is hopeless.
1: It well, I think I think they they're all there, get absolutely battered. They're trying to do what they can to save a life, and then ding, just one bullet in the helmet, he's gone.
0: Yeah, it's like they've done all of this work, and they're out in the open. Yeah, and this is where Tom Hanks, his character, is saying, you know, bring him in because you know, I guess he's their medic for their bit. Like, and this uh, a question for you because you know, I don't know from watching Bound of Brothers and this as well. Is there this sort of unwritten rule that you wouldn't shoot a medic from the opposing side, where like they maybe get a bit of grace because they're not they're not going to be attacking you, or they literally just collateral damage? I I
1: think, I've, I, think yeah, I think it's a bit of both. They both think that. You know, medics are safe and can go and you know attend to people. You wouldn't shoot a medic. You wouldn't, says... you wouldn't shoot them. But actually, at the end of the day, they're still a soldier. Medics are appointed as well. You know, some people get sent to like medical battalions and stuff like that. But essentially, it's who's going to be the medic? You. And then yeah, you go and do a bit of training, and that that's about it. There's only certain people that go. Yeah, actually. Well, i want to be a medic and blah 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 just very quickly as a little side note mm. tom hanks um as he's coming up the beach comes across a medic like some people from a medical battalion and they're there holding typewriters and stuff like that do you remember this bit mm-hmm. he basically says to so him we need to get up the beach because like who are you guys come on we need to get up the beach this is just you know ridiculous uh and he goes get rid of that crap and throws the typewriter away but tom hanks loves typewriters he has a collection of Hundreds of typewriters and is obsessed by them. So I wonder how difficult it was <laughs> him to say get rid of that crap and like throw this typewriter and then have to run up because he does it again later on as well. That's a
0: good fact. <laughs> like that. So they regroup at this bank and we've got like Vin Diesel there and then there's the little scene that we talked about earlier where the soldier gets shooting shot in the helmet, takes the helmet off, gets shot in the head, and they maneuver up um, by using grenades was it I've... uh bangalore so it's a tube of explosives essentially that's it and
1: they set them together set off the fuse and it blows up the wiring so that they can then cross
0: over i forgot to mention that uh the reason that the uh, a lot of the boats were sort of crashing and whatever is they had what was called hedgehogs There was called something hedgehogs which basically were you know massive spikes that went into the bow of the boat which also meant that like, oh, they couldn't retreat either.
1: Well, they're sub- actually supposed to be at higher tide, you can't see them. Oh. Uh. But it's because the tide was. Uh, so when the tide is in or out, when the tide is in, you can't see them because the water level is, is high. So it's just when boats come through, it stops the boats and catches the boats, and then they're just a sitting duck, basically. Um, but because when they when they did the daylight, the, the tide was further out, they could see them. So they they obviously stopped the boats a lot sooner and then they got out and that's why they had so far to go in terms of getting across the beach.
0: So they get through and sort of get through and get up the beach. This is where we're introduced to Private Jackson, played by Barry Pepper, and introduce uh, some of the other guys. And they manage to sort of start being a bit more strategic and they get round and they get round to the back of where... This sort of bunker that's housing the MG42. Yeah, the big machine guns. And they they sort of manage to get the gun. They throw a grenade in. The people flush out. They shoot those guys, and they send in the flamethrowers. And then, as the soldiers that are now in flames are sort of coming out of the where they've been shooting from, a guy shouts out, "Don't shoot! Let them burn!"
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> quite a hard thing to watch, isn't it? Really, just you know don't give them the satisfaction of dying quickly just let this happen after the massacre that they've just ensued on them just let just let them burn
0: and then this is where we move forward into some, like you said some of the german soldiers that aren't german that are czech and from wherever are surrendering and and still sort of being shot down and this is where uh, the americans have sort of stabilizing the situation and taking over, etc And then this is where Tom Hanks's character is then assigned with his new task from his superior to go and save Ryan. But I think is it maybe now at this point that in the film it flips to seeing like the the ladies with the typewriters that are writing the the letters home? to families of soldiers that have that have died and this is where it's flagged up that this same woman is going to be receiving three letters that three of her sons have died in service she has one one son left and that they, they want to extract him so that she doesn't lose all of her sons in war but well, they look over the, at the beach and see all the bodies don't
1: they and the and water's is running red quite a view with the and like dead fish all over the place as well as the soldiers and the water is just red isn't it and then it goes to like I said the, the typewriters so it's them writing essentially letters home to say you know your son or husband or whoever's died and it's the the lady typist that realises that she's already typed out or there's already letters for going to the same address to the same mother we see brian cranston don't we we do Raising colonel yep that <laughs> um, was a good i idea. think he's the only amputee in the film that isn't really an amputee <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah and this must be relatively early sort of big credit for him Yeah,
1: definitely yeah because it's quite early 90s isn't it so it, it would have been yeah way like before. malcolm in the middle after that wouldn't it yeah. so yeah established himself as a as an actor then and then into comedy and doing all sorts of different things, hasn't he? So and he's and back into drama. Come a long way, hasn't he? Yeah, but uh, it then goes basically to the general who reads the letter from sorry letter from Abraham Lincoln, essentially saying the same thing. So he sends a letter to someone's mother who has died in the American Civil War, and then he says, you know, we need to go and find them. And they're all sort of talking amongst themselves, aren't they? The general, the general and the colonels that are with him. Uh, one of them saying it's going to be impossible to find them you're never going to find them because the 101st airborne, airborne so the parachute regiment have dropped people everywhere there's so many mistakes into into where they were basically getting paratroopers to, to jump out of airplanes and stuff like that because
0: they weren't hitting their landing zones and they're all over the place so this is why Ryan has lost and I guess that bit is depicted well in Band of Brothers that's one of the most chaotic parts is when they're jumping out of the planes with the planes are like getting hit and shot down and so, it makes perfect sense that people would be off target of where they're trying to land yeah, in a foreign land anyway, and at night, right? Yeah.
1: Um, it, the message then goes down to Captain John Miller's senior officer. Uh, and it's a few days after the, the beach landing. And that is then told what his mission is and where he has to go next. But he, he's kind of, um, he talks about like little operations that they've done in between. So, he talks about, you know, when he's talking about the mines they've come across and things like that so they've had my go and they've had to go and do this and capture this gun and do this job and do that job um and then he tells them casualty lists say so of this many people injured this many people dead and then it's like okay right here's your next mission and the reason you get these missions is because you know, you're good at what you do you know, it's a it's tough mission that's why you got it is what he says so and then he gives him the next one which is you need a squad of this many people Go and find Ryan.
0: And he goes and he gets his guys and he also needs an interpreter and this is where we get introduced to a little rat.
1: <laughs> you said that straight away. As soon as you watched the film, you said he is a rat and you hated him. And I, I didn't defend him. But yes, I, had, I did. No, I did defend him. No. I, I had reasons as to why his character grows on
0: you. It grows on you like an infection.
1: I think he's he's like a conscientious objector he doesn't want to fight you know he's there to do his bit but he's not a fighter and he wasn't there and he's then picked to go and and do this this mission you, you know when actually like he, he makes it very clear that he he reads maps and he does translation he doesn't doesn't do fighting
0: but when we come into into a few scenes tight time so I don't want to jump ahead too much but he wants to write a book about the bond of brotherhood between soldiers in combat to which he is not a part of because he's a little rat but where <laughs> he, he could have been but he does not I have never been in a fight in my life but if we were walking down the street and someone started attacking you I would do what I could to try and defend you and help you not that I would need to because <laughs> my man's holding... A black belt, right? hmm Right. So you'd be defending me. <laughs> but my point is, is that we're friends. And if you're in trouble, regardless of the fact that I can't fight or don't like fighting, I'm not into that sort of thing, I would still wouldn't want to see you hurt. So I'd still do what I could to step in, even if it was not fighting, but just trying to stop what's happening. Yeah. This little rat doesn't mm-hmm. even do any of that. He just, he listens to his friend in hyphenated brackets or you know or colleague or whatever being murdered and is crying outside like a little rat boy. oh wow <laughs> we really don't like him do we tell me how that's not true i mean it is true tell it to mellish oh wow mellish, <laughs> mellish. tell it to mellish oh wait you can't why because he's dead who could have helped him a rat who didn't little rat boy
1: <laughs> he's just like a bit of a wimp isn't he I said bit of a wimp like big time wimp he's he's well, him, terif- and,
0: him and his best friend Steamboat Willie <laughs> 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 have you seen the film you'll understand some of them bits too much then let's talk about his introduction or have I missed a bit no I think you're in the right place let's talk about his introduction so he's introduced to Tom Hanks' character firstly I have a positive affliction towards what's the rat's name Upham towards Upham, the actor, because he is in one of my favourite TV shows, Lost, and he plays a great character in that. He's very likeable, who, who I really like, and he has some really poignant episodes and and great parts of the series. So when I saw it was him, I was like, oh, love this guy. <laughs> I watched it twice for the podcast, and on the second viewing, he was he was he was even worse it was even more excruciating because he, he became even more of a contradiction with some of the layering tom hanks's character is bringing him in and saying i need you an interpreter etc 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 he's trying to pick up his typewriter which i'm guessing is where you were saying a second ago the second time he throws a typewriter down and tells him to get rid of it he's trying to he's saying about maps and so on and so forth and you were saying in a message to me when we were talking about this off microphone that this was poignant because this is like what you just said this is the first this is him showing he doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing he's trying to bring he's not trying to pick up weapons and stuff he's trying to pick up maps and
1: he picks up the wrong helmet he picks up a a German helmet because he, he's just there's just stuff He's asked to get all his gear, get ready to go to to a place where he actually points out there's a lot of Germans and Tom Hanks's character so Captain Miller says, I'm aware of that. You know, we have to go there for a reason. We're fighting the war, you ratchet. <laughs> and he has never he he explains that he hasn't he explains that he hasn't fired his gun since basic training. Or he hasn't sorry, he hasn't held a weapon since basic training and then Captain Miller says, "Did you fire the weapon in basic training?" He says, "Yes." So, well, get, get your gear. We're going, and that's it. And that's this is that point where we have an academic. Not to say that the other characters aren't, because we know that towards the end we find out what Captain John Miller's profession was. We know that you know he's a teacher. So, spoiler there as well. But he's an academic, and very much uh, I can't do that but I want to do my bit, so my bit will be reading, translating, and kind of fighting the war that way then he gets thrown in and it's just a whole other world, so he would have been fairly protected to you know, against the rest of it the D-Day landings, he wouldn't have been involved really And, and any of the other battles that have gone before he wouldn't have been involved, he would have been in the background somewhere you know, collating information, putting things together and then all of a sudden he's now got to go and walk through a heavily occupied part of France where essentially he's got no choice but he's gonna he's gonna have to fight at some point and you know, he's just making it very clear that he's
0: can't do that. And I understand that, and that's not where my gripe is I'll get to gripes in a minute. <laughs> but it's that you have to do what you have to do. There's a basic understanding of if someone's about to die, you do there's like mothers that have picked up cars because it's like crushing their babies and, and things like that. Now, obviously, I know that's different, but the point is, is mothers aren't going out there thinking that they can pick up cars. This is probably a terrible example. But I mean, is that in extreme circumstances, you do what you have to do to protect the people around you or the people that you love. Or in this situation, your brothers and, you know, your colleagues or whatever, you, whatever the right terminology is, and he didn't do that. He had fair opportunity, more opportunity. I mean when we get to the Mellish part, they're fighting without guns. He could have just he had a gun in his hand. He had all of the ammo and it was his fault <laughs> Because that Steamboat Willie's there in the first place. But that's okay. He's your favourite character. We'll find that no, out no, the, no, 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 we'll find it out No, the no, end. no, 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 no. Dom, Don't play that. It's okay. Him. He's not no, no You love him. You watch the film for him. No. Because you love him. No. You have a thing for rats and that's fine. Absolutely not. Vermin is your (laughs) favourite.
1: He is not my favourite. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But I understand the
0: situation, I think. Or I try to understand it anyway. Will you enter into an open-minded conversation with me about it to see whether... You'll feel differently towards the end of the podcast. Of course.
1: we're not doing that now.
0: I don't know. Are we doing it now? I'm, I'm not feels you feel pretty closed.
1: <laughs> I agree that he could have intervened at, at all points of, of that particular scene. I have absolutely no doubt that he could have he could have intervened. He could have walked in. He could have shot the German soldier that that does eventually kill Mellish and then moved
0: on. He could have even didn't have to shoot him. He could have just gone in and been like, put your hands up and then and try to take him prisoner if you wanted to, or just told him to get out. Like
1: Yeah. But it's he's a coward. So we know he's a coward, but he's he's a terrified coward. I think he has the full intention of going up there. He checks his weapon as he's going up the stairs to make sure it's loaded, to make sure he's you know he looks at it to make sure that that side of the gun is where the safety catch is. So you have a little, like, lever. So he looks at... Uh, that's what I'm pretty sure he's looking at to make sure that the safety catch is off. So that when he gets up there, or he comes across this soldier, he can then shoot him, essentially. And he doesn't have to then flick anything.
0: To which he does shoot Steamboat Willie in the end anyway. He does. He does in the end, yeah. Too little too late. I agree. But, okay, we'll get there when we get there. But I think it's
1: uh, it's about character building, isn't it?
0: No, and I all get it. I because mean...
1: if you look at Ryban, he's a dick pretty much all the way through. But then he's alright at the end, isn't he?
0: This isn't me having uh, an issue with the film, or an issue with the way it's written, or an issue with, with any of that, or the acting, or anything. It's that... And, and if anything, it's a compliment to the film that it evokes this like anger in me that he could have done it, and I guess that's it's maybe more of a realistic representation because God, I, I would be absolutely petrified as as I'm sure anybody would, and I can't say that I'd like to say that I I, I would you know help my brothers etc. But it's impossible to say, isn't it? So I get it, and I know what its point is and function is within the the story and the narrative, but it's just so frustrating to me because Mellish was one of my favourite characters mm. and it just didn't need to happen and it obviously it's tied in that, that he was poignant in his death because he was one of the people that wanted to kill him then and there, yeah, earlier on in the film right? well it was more it was like Jackson and... Rybin yeah but Jackson and Rybin really had the issue with it yeah. but we assume that Mellish would have been on that side of the coin
1: right? Just very quickly, I don't think it's the same person. It's not the same soldier. Who it? The soldier that kills Melish? isn't the same guy. That's Steamboat Willie? No, it isn't. So he kills
0: Steamboat Willie at the end, but it's not the same guy. That's not Steamboat? No. I I thought it was. No. Shall we check? Okay, after taking a break to do further research, it appears, unfortunately, that Dominic was correct. And yes, that is not Steamboat Willie that later kills Melish is actually someone else that looks a lot like him in fairness the first time i watched it i did i actually thought it was a it was a different soldier but then i watched it for the second time because as you just said off microphone because uh rat boy he sort of ignores him as he's walking down and doesn't harm him i thought oh that's because he gave him the grace earlier of sort of helping him to let him go and let him live Actually, it's not connected. Now that part actually confuses me a little bit. Was it just that he looked at him and thought, you're such a rat, I'm just going to leave you? Or Just
1: wimp. You didn't come and kill me. I suppose I'll just leave you because you're not going to make any difference. Just very quickly, we we're like nearly at the end of the film. I know.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's Joel back. My apologies. So so we've been introduced to Uppen. We've had this interaction with, with Tom Hanks' character, Miller... And this is where we move into them uh, walking through the fields and we sort of get a bit, a bit more introduction into Vin Diesel's character and, would you say, Ry- Ryben? Ryben and... To Ryben,
1: Mellish and Jackson.
0: And this is where, this is where Upham is talking about that he wants to write a book about the bond of brotherhood of soldiers in, in battle and wartimes. Which I think is foreshadowing the part that he's not part of that. It's sort of peppered in the writing that his perspective is external anyway, yeah. and then that is where they keep him pretty much the whole time is that he remains external because he's not part of that and he can't understand it to the point that Fin Diesel's character is laughing. I'll get a load of this guy. You know, what do you know about it essentially?
1: And he's more senior than. Than all of them. Really? Yeah, he's a he's a corporal. So that's supposed to be a... Although they're non-commissioned officers, he's... So he's got two stripes on his arm. And he is like more senior than all of them. is essentially could be in charge of them. And, you know, has a bit of seniority there. But doesn't show it in any way, and they have zero respect for him. Hmm.
0: So... This is one of my favourite parts of dialogue in the film, I'm hesitant to quote it in case I get it wrong in front of you. But where Jackson basically says, put me up to or within a mile of Adolf Hitler, pack your bags, war's over. Go and say it.
1: I have an opinion on this matter. It seems that God made me a fine instrument of warfare. So if you put me in this sniper rifle up to and within a mile of Adolf Hitler,
0: pack your bags, feathers, war's over. This is where Captain Miller says, you know, that's how you gripe. You gripe up, you don't gripe down. I don't gripe to you, I gripe to my superiors, so on and so forth. I, I really like that. I thought it was a really well-written scene, and it gives you, it lets you into pockets of each of the characters, enough that you start building up an affliction to each one and start getting more ingrained and engrossed into the story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's... The great part of it is that you start to... You see their bond, and Upham is the outsider because they've been together for so long. You know, before all of that happens, before they leave, he's asked to put a squad together, and he's picking his squad, and he talks about this person, let's take this person and that person. And Mellish isn't picked. Mellish isn't picked. He gets picked because someone else is, isn't... Is is either dead or can't go. I, can't. I think they're, they're dead. So they go okay. Fine, Melish then. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that happens just to, just beforehand, and then they have their little like chat, don't they? And then they go off into the fields and stuff like that, and then do that whole scene. But that that bit where they're walking in formation, and they're looking around, and they're walking and they're talking about the whole mission, and it's um, you, you know. Misallocation of company resources and
0: are we not risking the lives of like the eight of us to save one person? Yeah, and then this is where Upham actually chimes in. This is actually where Upham chimes in in agreement with Captain Miller and he quotes something, doesn't he? is it Uh, mine's not the reason why, is but to do and die. That's it. Of course, you'd know in the fact that you know his mother's gonna gonna receive all these letters and just got one son left, etc., etc., etc. Now we've all got mothers. Uh, The captain hasn't got a mother, and this this sort. This is the scene where I really warmed up to the film on my first viewing. Where I think I had my trepidations that it was going to be like that beach scene for like two and a half hours, and I was going to struggle with it. But it actually lays off. It's well balanced with these other moments of sincerity that allows you to connect to the characters
1: yeah it's not all the gore of war yeah the whole time
0: it's there's
1: you, you know the nice connecting scenes and moments that you have that you know it, it shows you what these characters are like and how well they know each other except for their captain um, and that like you said there is that nice little joke where you know, up and says, "There's not a reason why. I was What to do and die?" And he said, "What does that mean? We're all supposed to die?" You know, you know like we we don't all have mothers and blah, blah blah blah. And it, when Ryder then starts saying, "Yeah, you know, we all have mothers. I have a mother. You have a mother. Shit, I even I, I bet even the captain has a mother." And he looks at him and he's like, "Okay, maybe not the captain, but everyone else." You know, is a, a, quite a nice moment, a good little funny, funny bit to kind of break any sort of tension that you might be feeling as a as a viewer. So we move into the first sort of town where they can hear the French family.
0: That's it, and half of their house has been, like, blown off, and there's a, a mother and father, and they have, like, a young girl, and, and they're trying to, like, give the girl to to the soldiers, obviously, to try and get her to safety, and Captain Miller's saying, "Nope, don't take the child, leave the child. Vin Diesel doesn't listen to orders. She looks like my niece, I have to take her. Takes the kid, sort of puts her down and then gets sniped and gets shot. Yeah. It all suddenly becomes very real again. The rest of the squad take cover and this is where Private Jackson, the sniper, starts sort of scoping out. And then this is one of my favorite lines that I quoted to you, and then you quoted back what it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> That's something like, "Stay down, fellas. This guy, this sniper's got talent." Almost. Come on. I wouldn't venture out there, fellas. This sniper's got talent. Right. And then this is the one scene that I, I had seen before, uh, where he then uh, snipes the guy through the scope into his eye. What a shot! Yeah. What a
1: shot! What what a thing to put in as well. Yeah. rather than just a standard shot he's actually gone like pure accuracy and as a as a choice as the director and uh, you know the the writer as well nice
0: nice touch and this is unfortunately Vin Diesel's end he's sort of clutching a letter that is written to his father that he's asking someone to copy it because now it's got blood on it and um, the medic Giovanni Ribsey's character take, takes the takes the letter and, yeah, unfortunately, it's too late for Vin Diesel.
1: Can I make a little comment about the letter? Please. Now, I've looked this up, and I can never find anything about that letter, ever. Whenever I look up letter in Saving Private Ryan, it always comes up with the one that's written about, that Abraham Lincoln wrote, and whether that was a real letter or blah, 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 blah. So I might be completely wrong, and there might be people out there that have found loads of stuff, like film trivia about Vin Diesel's letter to his dad. But anyone who comes into contact with that letter or anyone who comes into contact with the person that has the letter dies Upham doesn't ever touch the letter or anyone that has the letter and Ribin doesn't but all the rest either are in contact with the letter at some point, they're all touching Wade when he's got shot the medic they're all touching him but the only two that don't are Upham and Ribin. and they're the only two that don't die
0: What about Tom Sizemore's character? Does he come into contact with it?
1: Sizemore touches them. Capazzo has the letter. It then goes to Wade. Wade takes it out of his hand, doesn't he? Puts it in his pocket and rewrites the letter. When they later on we'll get to that, I suppose. In the church, yeah. Yeah. And then he has the letter on him. And then when he gets killed, they're all touching him. So Millish, Tom Sizemore puts his legs up, doesn't he? And then Captain Miller and who's the other Jackson are all putting pressure on his body they're all holding him and then Captain Miller takes the letter so they've all come into contact with the person that has that letter at some point and then they all die the only two people that don't touch him are Ribbon and Upham and they never have any contact with the person who has the letter
0: until the end I was going to say, where does the letter end up? Does it not get sent then? Like... John Miller has it.
1: So Tom Hanks' character has it. And Ryben takes it at the end of the film. I, and I've looked up things. I, I don't know whether it's my bad Googling or whatever, but I could not find anything about that letter in particular.
0: Interesting. Okay, well. <laughs> maybe in. we should write about it on on our website, mm. which is soon to come mighty90s.com and then when people Google it it will come to us. It will come up. <laughs> and then <laughs> you, the you can claim credit for it. <laughs> As we just spoke about Vin Diesel's character comes to an unfortunate end and then is this where we move forward and we're introduced to Paul Giamatti's character? Or have I, have I missed a scene?
1: Yes, you, you are right. But, you know before they get to the village that Vin Diesel dies in or the town that Vin Diesel dies in there's a panned out shot of a field and you see them all they then go to the village town, whatever Vin Diesel dies they then go into the next town and on their way to the next town there's another panned out shot of them in the field and there's still 8 of them there should only be 7 so it's the first sort of obvious mistake in the film like continuity error so whoever's editing it has put the same scene into it again I thought I'd ruin it for you there no <laughs>
0: well I mean as well we should say these our podcast isn't we're, we're not about poking holes into things and obviously I mean it doesn't really detract does it from the oh, not at all, I, mean. Um, I mean I gave Smart House 10 out of 10 so <laughs> but there were no errors in it Spielberg <laughs>
1: LeVar Burton would not make that
0: <laughs> mistake. Yeah, exactly. I would just say on Vin Diesel, there's a good little connection here that um, I only just thought of, is have you seen the film Boiler Room? No. It stars Giovanni Ribisi and Vin Diesel is in it, and he is brilliant in it. This is all predating um, Fast and Furious, etc., which I actually... The new ones I'm fairly indifferent to, but I, I really enjoyed the first one. Um didn't mind the second tokyo drift i really liked <laughs> who wouldn't japan bow wow <laughs> we good
1: perfect film <laughs>
0: yeah but yeah it's, it's a really good film boiler room in fact it, it's uh some i think it was i hope i'm pretty sure it was 1999 so it could be one that we bring up at some point <laughs> um but it's a, yeah, it's a good film. Vin Diesel's really good in that. But yeah, those two were, were in, in that together as well. So we're then introduced to Paul Giamatti's character and he is like the head of, a, of another squad that's like holding uh, another area while they're, they're trying to sort of move forward. They have a runner. This is the scene where they, he's sort of sending a runner through and the guy gets shot, right?
1: Yeah, so they've come across a parachute regiment and he's a sergeant so he's with his white squad and they're taking fire from all angles which isn't unusual for a paratrooper because they jump out of an airplane and they're shot out all the time and they ask about james ryan and there's that little joke isn't there or you are you are relief you're here to take over from us so we can leave um which is like semi-serious as well but He's like, no, we're not your relief. We're here for a private Ryan, and I'm like Ryan, what, you know what they would you want him for, sort of thing. And then it becomes a okay, let's get a message to the other side of town. So they call for a runner, which is essentially is someone who's quick at running. It's someone that's fast. will carry a message from one end to the other. So go. This is go and tell them this. Go, and then they do it.
0: Which is crazy. <laughs> like what a job. Just run. Nuts. For your life, literally, yeah, and then good. that guy gets shot. Calls for another one. Yeah, they sort of come together to help sort of move forward.
1: We we jump ahead quite a lot in these these podcasts, so we 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 modelled up a little bit. So we've, we've talked about Vin Diesel's death. I, th- I think that's probably the most important part to cover the, the characters that we're looking at. So we have jumped ahead and come back a little bit but that doesn't matter too much because i mean the character and the bond between them is what's important and then the development of the story i think me talking about the letter hasn't helped because then we've moved on to the medic's death and stuff like that which is obviously a lot later so we're sort of pulling it back here and there so if you're getting a bit confused while you're listening to this so we we do apologize but we do you know jump about quite a bit so it's just because we're letting it flow and we like talking about it so this there's no set you know, we'll talk about this, this, this and this, we just, you know, we, we love these films and we look into these films and we really enjoy talking about them so
0: we jump about a bit, that's why. Yeah, and when there's a thread that has some interest you sometimes have to follow it a little bit and then it takes you away from where you were but we can jump back and forth.
1: I mean, we've already talked about the end of the film. Yes,
0: twice. <laughs> Steamboat Willie hasn't even appeared in the film yet. Yeah. <laughs> and we've already talked about his death and him being somebody else that he's not. <laughs>
1: yeah, I' have talked about John Miller dying and that's right at the end of the film. So. No,
0: <laughs> but it makes sense. It's, I get it. The runner gets shot and then he keeps getting shot and that is because... Capazzo,
1: so in Diesel's character, is still looking over the little wall. Which might then make the Germans think he's still alive because he's he's watching him, maybe trying to get to him. So they keep shooting him, and Vin Diesel gets very upset by that and says, "Why do they keep shooting him?" Which is why uh, then John Miller says, "As long as his breath, as long as his lungs have breath, he still carries the message. We would do the same thing." And he goes, "No, we wouldn't."
0: Gets very upset, and I guess maybe Vin Diesel said trying to decompartmentalized that perhaps a runner is in the same vein as like a medic like what we were saying earlier but I guess not because the information that they're carrying you know strategy or whatever that's then going to be detrimental or opposing to the opposition. So they sort of come together and sort of break through. We sort of move forward to uh, they, they find some other allies that are like holding a corner and there's a guy in the window and in my head then, I just jumped to Band of Brothers and was like, Thunder! <laughs> Flash! I'm so happy, I got that, right? <laughs> and they they sort of walk around and then there's the scene where they're like, okay, they, you know, take a load off or whatever and Paul Giamatti's character sits down and as he sits down, he sort of knocks like a pillar or something and yeah. then it knocks into the wall and then there's again the kind of a Spielberg-esque humour moment where the, the wall crashes down and there's just... Equal amount of Germans there, all with their guns and weaponry. Put your guns down. Put your guns down. Freeze. And then the juxtaposition is that the Germans are then saying the same in German, and then Ottoman is saying in German to them, you know, calm down, put the weapons down, etc., etc., etc. And then an unseen squadron at the top come in and just brutalise and mow down the Germans.
1: Yeah, that's when Ted Danson's character appears, isn't it? And he's a captain as well. I can't for the life of me remember his name, his character's
0: name. But this was an unexpected appearance for me, that Ted Danson was just <laughs> going to appear. He later is the captain to the other Ryan, I yeah. guess you could call him.
1: Iowa Ryan.
0: Ah, uh, that's right. And
1: Pennsylvania, Ryan. Is it yeah. Pennsylvania?
0: I th- Minnesota. Yeah, I think you're right that it's with that. I think it's that I read it on IMDB or on somewhere for trivia that they were they were referring to him as not Ryan yeah. or not the Ryan or something like that. But yeah, I think you're right, it's with the, the, the areas. Yeah. Because think... that's how they distinguish it, isn't it? It's like, no, I'm from wherever I were or wherever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's that what state he's, he's in. <laughs> in from
0: <laughs> is is that the the scene that we move to next well then Capalzo getting killed Vin Diesel oh is it then goes to Vin Diesel being killed but then after that is that when because when Ted no, Danson's character that, in the, the, then... the Ted
1: Danson bit Vin Diesel's already dead yeah because then it goes into the church they have the scene that scene they kill all the Germans that are in that little house they then talk to Ted Danson so they then meet not Ryan
0: right so we're moving into that scene so okay in there, yeah which we've, we've spoken about already um, earlier in the podcast. But the acting in that is brilliant from all sides, from Ted Danson being caring. And, and I guess this is a, a bit of a misconception, I guess, or something that is what holds the the emotional grounding in these war films, or especially in, or in Saving Private Ryan and in Bound of Brothers, is that there's so much compassion amongst... The ranks or to each other. Like, when he's hearing this horrible news, you know, is sort of, like, holding him, and it feels like a real family, but then we find out that it's like, my brothers are in, like, preschool, middle school, or something, it's something like that, isn't it?
1: Yeah, they're, uh, they're in grammar school. Grammar school. Yeah, so they're still, like, kids, basically, in America, and then that sets a horrible feeling of...
0: Oh, they hurt at home. Yeah, that's. And, I gotta go home. Yeah. <laughs> Are they? How do you know that it's not the other way around? And it's my brother's. Oh, we found we
1: found Private Ryan. This is how we get. You, I suppose it, for the first time watching it, you think, well, they found Private Ryan. This is him. How do they then get him out of France? Is that then the story? Is it that they get him from France to wherever, and because mm-hmm, they've, they've got battles to fight. to to get away from to get him out there alive,
0: kind of thing. Well, because we're arguably, maybe, maybe towards the beginning of the second act. At this point, maybe so. It's like yeah, it's still a lot of film to go. Yeah. (laughs) So we we have that scene, and then we move into the night at the church. Yes. This is where we get more parts of exposition, which which is done really nicely. But we also get to know the characters more, maybe not doing this in in order, but we have Giovanni Ribsey, the medic's character, talking about his mum coming home and he used to pretend to be asleep even though he knew that she she wanted to see him because she'd been working like long shifts etc and didn't know why he did that and he's obviously thinking about family and, and at home. He's copying out Vin Diesel's character's letter. We have the The moment we're between Upman and Miller, and they're talking about what the pool is up to on if you can, people can find out where he's from and what he does for a living, and maybe wait till it's at five hundred, we can split it. And there's some companionship, sort of, sort of building here. Wade,
1: the medic, talks about his mum, the nurse, and yeah, she does long shifts, and one, would want to find out about his day. And then Rybin talks about, uh, basically, says that his mum would have come and woken him up, and they would have talked till dawn and sort of ages. And
0: Tom Sizemore's character has a conversation with Tom Hanks's character, and they're talk- talking about some of the history, like you said earlier, about some of the battles they've been in, and talking about some of the, like the funny characters that they'd sort of been in contact with in in other scenarios. So Vecchio is the name of
1: the soldier they they talk about. And they're they're laughing about about this kit this lad that they, and they talk about him peeing a V into everyone's jacket for Vecchio and for victory uh, and then it kind of turns into like quite a sour moment because they, that um, Tom Hanks's character then talks about how many soldiers have died under him and within that is included this Vecchio character and. Vin Diesel's character, he adds him into into that figure.
0: Does he say something like, well, for the amount of people that have died under me, that means that we've saved X amount? Yeah, he's like, we saved double that,
1: or even ten times that, you know.
0: And that's him sort of trying to internally, or and externally, I guess, rationalise what has happened and trying to put the positivity onto it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They leave at night, don't they? So there's a scene with... Bombs and shelling going off in the background, and you sort of see them walking across this field, and there's lots of flashing. They get to a, a field, don't they, where the aircraft
0: that's it has crashed. And this is, they, there's this sort of a quick scene where uh, the survivor of this crash is saying that they'd um, had too much weight on the plane, or they'd put, uh, they tried to armour the bottom of it. Yeah, so they'd,
1: they'd welded in some steel plates so that if there was ground fire, it wouldn't go through. Um, to protect a general who was on the aircraft,
0: but they didn't tell the pilot, which was him, right, um, yeah. uh, beforehand. So obviously, uh, and it crashed, um, and they said, "Well, who would have thought?" You know, basically the irony that they put this stuff in to save one guy, but it actually ended up killing more. And then I think Private Jackson says, "Yeah, there's a lot of that going on," you know, referencing that there's eight of them trying to find this one guy. Yeah. Which I thought was good and a clever way of sort of bringing it back round. And then we sort of get to this medical camp or this the fields where there's people that are sort of wounded.
1: Yeah, they're sheltered, aren't they? So they've, they've built like a temporary shelter, almost like a, a unit for them to go and just sort of lie there and waiting. Almost like a temporary field hospital, but there's no one attending to them because nobody knows they're there. They're just kind of left and waiting for people to come across
0: them and find them. And this is where Giovanni Ribsy's character he just starts attending to people Riven, smell that leg does it smell like cheese yes guessing that means that guy's leg's coming off I don't know
1: we're gonna get rid of that one yeah
0: and this is where we've got other infantry sort of moving through and walking past that you know sort of look like they're in shock or mourning or just been through it and this is where they' sort of Tom Hanks gets a bit more desperate and just starts calling out for for Ryan. Is there a Ryan? Um, have I have I skipped the part where Jackson Mellish and is it Rybin are looking through dog tags?
1: Yeah, so that's just slightly before. Um, so they're asked the the pilot has a bag of dog tags that he's taken, uh, and then they're asked to go and look through. Them. So they go over sit at this little on these boxes. Uh, and they start going through it, trying to find uh, his name. In and so sort of Jackson thinks he's found one as well and goes, oh, I've got him as Ryan, R-I-E-N-N-E. And it's like, it's Rihanna's friend, you idiot, sort of
0: thing. There's And they're being a bit sort of jovial and light-hearted about it. And this is where Giovanni Ribsy's character is just like, sort of, what are you doing? Have some respect. You've got people that are walking past the, their colleagues and they've just seen all of this stuff. Captain Miller gets a bit more desperate and he's like, Ryan, I'm looking for a Ryan, anyone know a Ryan? And then someone's like, oh yeah, it doesn't, blah de blah, hands around with a Ryan. And this is where we get introduced to the guy that has had his uh, hearing affected, or like a grenade or something went off near him. Yeah, a grenade's
1: gone off right by my head.
0: And again, it's like a nice sort of subtle, humorous sort of thing. And it's like the the guy next to him is like, he can't hear you, a grenade went by his head. And it's like, I can't hear you, a grenade went off by <laughs> my head. <laughs> and then they find out that, that there's Orion.
1: That's well, and... the link back to the pencil as well, isn't there? So I know we didn't really talk about it, but when he first goes to get Upham, and Upham tries to take his typewriter, he, he holds out a pencil and tells it, and he's like, oh, okay, I'll take pencil and a pad, and I can make notes on that. Because he also wants to... Making notes in his book, and he's got to carry a stupid typewriter around because it's bulky and heavy, and there's absolutely zero point. And then that's the point where he says, Oh, is anyone with a pen, pencil? We need to write this down, and then up, and up appears with a pencil. Mm. And it's like, Qu- Quick, write this message. <laughs> that's
0: good. I, I didn't notice that. Nice. So then they find out that there, there is Orion somewhere. They sort of get their, their new itinerary, I guess, or direction. And then this is where we move into the introduction of. Steamboat Willie, in a way, I guess, because as they're sort of moving out, they notice um, a gunner, and they have this debate of whether where Captain Miller is saying, well, we need to go in and handle this, and the rest of the, the squadron are saying, well, this isn't our mission. Let's move on. Captain Miller says, well, it's not our mission to win the war. If we don't handle this, then another squadron is going to come past, and it's going to be on them, or they're going to get attacked, etc., etc. So begrudgingly they follow him into combat and this is where or ultimately they they get through and get what they get done, what they need to get done and, and take over that area. But within that happening, Giovanni Ribsey's character gets shot and has a pretty harrowing death and I'd say this is where my first tears came. Oh really? In bed, yes. Because it was horrible. It was when he asked for the morphine, like the second hit, basically. Well, they give him one hit and he asked for a bit more, and it's because we know he knows that to send him out, I think anyway. And he's asking, "Where am I hit?" He's basically trying to analyze his own wounds. He's got an exit wound about the size of an acorn, but it's. The sound, his face—it was so horrible. Like it felt so realistic. Again, not that I know what that would look like. It was horrible.
1: It's it's really tough as well because there's a lot of blood and although you've seen all of Omaha Beach happening, this is someone that you've now become a, like attached to, and even their own feeling about it before it happens. So they've got a bad feeling about this one. Don't think we should do this. We could go around it. We could skip it. And still accomplish our mission, you know. Like you said, Tom Hanks says, y- "You think that's you think that's what we need to do? Is skip it and let them ambush, you know, an- another another squad, you-, you know, another platoon." I think it's Melish that then says, y- "You know, we could still skip this and achieve our objective." He says, "Our objective is to win the war." Um, and then he makes this plan, and then yeah, he gets pretty messed up. Unfortunately, you yeah, know, a lot of bullet holes in his chest and in his stomach as well. One that's gone through. And they're doing everything they can to help him. And, yeah, like he says, when he says, I could use a little more morphine, it's just kind of like,
0: okay, yeah, just, just give, do give, it. Just, give it to him. Yeah. No, no, no. And, but this, again, is where some of my argument would come in against Upham, because Giovanni Ribisi's character is not... He doesn't have weaponry. He's not about killing the enemy. He's about assisting but he is beloved by everyone there and they all come together for him and so I think you can have the, the bravery and the courage part of the brotherhood without having to brandish a weapon
1: yeah yeah definitely I, I get what you mean I mean you mentioned Axel Ridge earlier and uh, I can't, for the life of me I can't remember I'm quite ashamed that I can't remember the main character's name who was a real person but he doesn't fire a weapon ever Mm, yeah, that's the whole the, thing, his he, thing, is, he wouldn't you know, even take one, and, would he? Into yeah, goes and saves people and, and pulls them out of all those situations. And, and yeah, quite right. like you're saying, um, Wade is doing the same thing. He's supporting his, his team and his friends. And But counterpoint to you hating up him because he's a rat. He's the only one that says, Wade, tell us what to do. How do we fix you?
0: Yeah, no, no. I what, he he what feels we,
1: it. What can we do to to make you better? And then everyone else starts saying, "Yeah, what can we do? What can we do?"
0: No, that's yeah, that's true, and that that is that is a poignant moment. I'm not saying that he's like heartless or, or cold or any of those things. Just do more. Just causes unnecessary death. Yeah, he could just do <laughs> he could just do more. <laughs> but okay, so then the Steamboat Willie is it just him? Yeah, he's at, the at this only one point, left. he's the only one left. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mellish, Jackson, and Rybin, i think it is—they all run up and give him a swift kicking. He's burying the other soldiers that are lying
1: around. So the other—I think there's other American soldiers that they come across that are dead, and he's been told to dig their graves and, and bury them. It's explained that what well, what Upham tries to say is it's against the rules of war. There are rules and conventions and things like that, that to say, murder him you mean yeah, yeah this is, it would be a war crime and essentially murder so you can't you can't just shoot him um, and what they try and say is we can't we haven't got the capacity to take prisoners so we've got two options is shoot him or let him go and the, uh, what most of them think is the right thing to do is to shoot him and then after a while he lets them fight and he just kind of has to make a decision
0: so before that we see Upham talking to him and steamboat willie brings up about how he he loves america and uh he likes i think he likes the cigarettes doesn't he or something like that and then as they're sort of turning the guns on him before they have this debate he's just like he brings up steamboat willie doesn't he and doing the choo choo or yeah. whatever sort of des- in desperation tries to sing the national anthem which is, I, I mean, there's multiple ways to look at it, isn't it? Like, he is just following orders, like how everybody else is. Mm. But as you said, it's they, they can't take a prisoner. It's either shoot him or let him go. And if you let him go, he potentially is then just going to go back and become a threat again later down the line, which obviously he does. Mm-hmm. I believe that Captain Miller at the beginning would would have just gone along with shooting him it's never disclosed but it feels like upham having an opinion is what changes it well what do you think
1: i almost think upham becomes yeah I, i agree with you there i think that there's this let's use him he can dig these graves put put our soldiers in it give them a proper burial while we're here and lay them to rest and then we don't need him anymore
0: and I would think Captain Miller would have just walked walked off and, then, and just and just let them do it yeah. without really saying anything, but yeah. there being this unspoken understanding.
1: And then it becomes a a bit of a row because up I'm saying it's against the rules, and it becomes a bit of an argument. And he's not really
0: making a making a decision. Ribbons starts to say, "Well, I'm done." I'm going to walk off or... Well, he,
1: he then... Upham says, you know, they're going to shoot him and it's it's against the rules, you can't let this happen and this is bullshit, to which he then agrees and actually go, I think Upham is like the... becomes the conscience of it. So it's this person that isn't used to that amount of war and the horrific scenes and what they've actually had to do and it almost makes you think back to that point of the two guys put the hands up saying we're not German... And Captain Miller's seen it and then he's just carried on. So he has a minute of like reflection of what these two American soldiers have done. They've killed these two guys that are trying to say that are surrendering. And then he just sort of goes, Okay, I need to carry on. So it's almost that point, isn't it, where he would have gone, Okay, he's done all these bad things, I'm just gonna turn away, yeah, like you said, and, and move on. But Upham's now going, hang on a minute, that's that's not allowed. We can't mm. we can't do that. Um, you need to stop this and so he does he then goes okay yeah actually you're right we can't take prisoners blindfold him turn him to walk a thousand paces in that direction and then we'll crack on about our our mission
0: when I was watching it the, for the first time when they blindfolded him and told him to walk yeah a thousand a thousand steps I thought they were just going to shoot him in the back of the head still mm. like I thought that one of them was just going to break, break rank or break order or whatever and just shoot him
1: Not Jackson on the sniper
0: rifle. Yeah, Yeah. I I did. (laughs) I thought Tom Sizemore's character... Sergeant Horvath. ...steps in and really goes to bat for Captain Miller against Rybin, and pulls a gun on him to the point of, you've been given an order.
1: Insubordination
0: and not following orders, and essentially
1: desertion is punishable by death. So actually he would have been within his right to shoot him. under orders, of
0: course. (laughs) Good fact. We have that, which is a lot. That's a lot. There's a heavy scene. Captain Miller, to sort of break the tension and to sort of move things forward, reveals that he is a school teacher from Philadelphia. Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania. This, you know, he... I think he he coaches the softball team. Yeah. And he's, he's an everyman... And this isn't what his bag is, and that he's scared, and it shows his vulnerabilities, and that kind of calms things down, or sort of shocks everyone enough that to remember that we're all just people, and none of us were. This is there wasn't the path that we were expecting to go on. You know, there's war, and like you said at the beginning, defending the nation, so on and so forth, and then we move on to is this where we then move into the field, and we see the tank, yeah. and then we see they all drop. They all drop down, and they start to get to work. But then, like a bazooka or explosive or something from another direction, uh hits the hits the German tank, and we find it's a it's another squadron. And in there, we're introduced to Matt Damon, which is the the real Ryan that we're looking for. And as they're introduced, is Tom Hanks is introducing himself. We get, this is blah-de-blah, Ryan, blah blah And it's almost like he double takes. And then here it is. Here's Matt Damon. Here's our Ryan. And then we move into like, the next town. And we sort of, the explanation of, we're here for you. We're here to take you home. Your your brother's unfortunately dead. This is where Ryan then goes into like what you were saying earlier, that well, these are my only brothers that I have left. If you need to tell my mother or anything, tell her that, you know, I'm here fighting with my brothers.
1: Yeah. And he says that she thinks she'll understand that. And to which um, Captain Miller's already made the point of, you know, what are we supposed to say to your mother when we send her another folded American flag? And he says, you know, actually, I think she would understand that I was here fighting for my country and against fascism and with my the only family I've got left and I think she should understand that but you know in, in that sentiment you kind of think fair enough but also you think you're leaving your mum without any any kids that's
0: harsh and Captain Miller has got orders they've lost two men at this point already mm-hmm. um, to get there which he brings up Ryan asks for their names Melish tells him, and he sort of double takes on Capazzo. but he makes a point of getting that right, and I think that wins him a bit of effect from the from Miller's squad. That you know he cares, he understands, he, he is, he's a soldier as well. Yeah, he's he's a he's a brother in the brotherhood. Unlike Oppen, this is like the part of it. Like he he fights with them, you know, and has that common understanding. And then this is where we are fully into, like, the third act of the film now, where the the discussion is around that they need to hold this bridge off. If they are to lose this posting, then it's going to be really bad. It's going to push them further back. Yeah. And that he will come, but they he wants to stay to at least sort of defend this and hold this off. And then this is where we, we get the brother story that we, that we spoke about earlier, so I think we're probably good to move past that. Yeah. And we basically start, Captain Miller sort of sets up a way of uh, bringing sort of tanks down this sort of main sort of row, the street, and how they could set up to sort of ambush and, and, and hold it off and rig the bridge with explosives, etc. Which, as we've already connected to Die Hard, kind of loosely connects back to Air. How? Because <laughs> when they land in... <laughs> When they land in Lunar Airfield, police and the La Cavalry are and Cyrus the Virus, played by John Malkovich, lines it up so that all of the squad cars and whatever are all going to go down the central street in the middle where they can then all bomb them from the side. This obviously came before Saving Private Ryan. So Spielberg stole from Con Air <laughs> <laughs> Obsessed <laughs> Nicholas Cage. <laughs> so they set up and there are oh, there's some good other little moments between where Rybin's telling a story about this woman that was every time he was in trouble to think about her breasts. Yeah, and and there's nice little like, bonding moments in there and um Private Jackson's going to set up in, uh, like, the tower, sniper, and he's going to have someone there helping him, like, with a with machine gun, etc., or a rifle. Yeah, he got a machine gun, yeah. They're sort of setting up in all these different places, and then Mellish is saying to up him. Johnny on the spot with the ammo.
1: Yeah,
0: that's it. And so on and so forth. What we didn't mention earlier at the top of the podcast is they seed in about FUBAR... And they tell Upham that it's a German word. And then he then tells Upham what it is. Which is? effed up beyond all recognition. <laughs> Which is good, I like that. So we're setting everything up. And that Ryan is never going to be more than a foot away from Captain Miller. That's like the, the condition, the stipulation. Is it Rybin that goes to be like the bait? Yeah, on the little, like, motorbike. Thing. And that sort of rides off, spins back around, comes back, sort of playing cat and mouse. And the first tank sort of goes past and doesn't go down like the, the street or the, the path that they want it to go to. And is it the second tank that come, that actually does start coming down? Yeah, it turns and
1: makes its way down the road that they're focusing
0: it. And they've started baiting it in. And then this is where we get a, a sizable it's a pretty long sort of sequence where we get like the climax of the film really it's going to be hard to hit all of these points i guess but some of the major points it it kicks off um and yeah, no. it gets pretty brutal this had one of my favorite scenes in it as well actually is where Jackson the sniper is just going at it and he's sort of hitting a prayer with every every time he's doing it yeah this is actually a scene so I watched it I watched it twice within a week within the weekend actually I think I watched it on like a Thursday night and then watched it again on like a Saturday and then I had a basketball game a couple nights ago and uh, I got fouled and had some free throws and you see free throws are like these take all of the breath out moments I feel very pressured when this is happening because (laughs) everybody's watching there's nothing else to watch And I didn't like say a prayer or anything, but I thought, I literally thought about him and just thought, because when he's saying it, it's sort of like his clearing his body to sort of take it. Mm. And I hit both of them. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just like, Jackson, which is also my last name. So, um, so then yeah, that, that was a great scene and he's really, it's not like, you know, a modern-day sniper rifle. I'm assuming. I don't know much about sniper rifles, but it's like it's manual work. He's like having to pull in and pull it back, like every every bullet.
1: Yeah, he has to. It's it's not an automatic rifle, so he has to cock it basically each time. So what that does is he pulls the the bar up and back. It then takes the bullet out of the clip and into the barrel, and then it sets it in place so that he can shoot it. More or less. That's not the full technical term of of how to use it. But that is a great bit. I think he's really good in that. And then doing the blessed be the Lord stuff. And then just shooting away. And getting all these Germans as they're running through. Just a little fun fact as well. About all the gun noises. They recorded the actual weapons. So they went and got the actual weapons. So you've got Thompson's um, BARs. the, the, The sniper rifle i think the end m- i think they called it m- they called m Fields? i'm not sure Oh, m1s the rifles and stuff like that where you know when they fire like six shots and it pings out the clip mm-hmm. at the top they went and got all these weapons went into yeah. a where a, a firing range and recorded all of that sound so all of the sounds of the, the actual
0: weapons Authentic. in the film yeah that's cool again a tie back to die hard because they did that in Die Hard as well. They recorded the, the actual weapons so and then to sort of ADR into the film. Ooh. We're going to be saying some of this is out of sequence, obviously, but we get... Then we get the the death scene with Melish and the guy that is with. a Guy comes up the stairs. They hear a noise and they it shoot. They shoot through the wall. It yeah. gets the other guy. Melish is still there, and then he's got this tense moment of, oh my god, someone's gonna is right behind the wall. This is one of the first times, if not the first time, I guess that we see actual like hand combat like that close range where you know, guns sort of getting knocked to the side and whatever. And this is where my tears came again, where he gets killed, because there's a there's a moment where it looks like he, he's got the upper hand and then it spins over. And then it's... Th- and it got me worse on the second time, because I knew it was going to happen. But it's where the German is holding the knife over his chest, like just before it goes in, and the sweat is coming off of his face onto his face. And then his Saying whatever in German, he's like, wait, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean? Because he's sort of gone through the film and bits that we've sort of, uh, I guess, we haven't touched on. Of you know, he 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 actually is Jewish, and he's been saying to people as like captured Germans are coming past, you know, showing them like Star of David or you know and whatever. So, obviously, religion is important to him, so that's sad on so many levels because he doesn't know what he's saying. as whether, That's how I read it anyway. Is, is, is this contradicting, like, like my religion, my beliefs and whatever? And then also maybe it's saying, like, wait, 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 like, can I get another vantage point to try and do something or thought... Someone to come in, you rap. (laughs) Because Upham is on the stairwell, being on Johnny on the spot with the ammo, but just crying outside. And yes, I understand that he is a coward, that he could have saved someone's life, even if he'd just, like, done anything, made a noise, just done something.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree. What is... That scene, even now, still when Melish is getting killed, I still find it really hard to watch, and I've watched I've watched it a thousand times. Let's say
0: is that the hardest scene for you?
1: Yeah, I think so. One thing I like, you know, we were talking about perception and empathy and stuff like that before. One thing that one one thing that I think is quite important um, in the scene where Melish dies is that he's he's killed by a knife, and then obviously right at the beginning of the film. Kapazzo, Vin Diesel's character finds the Hitler Youth knife and, and he, says, oh, and he, look, and he, he refers to it as, like, I can't pronounce it, but it's a type of Jewish bread-killing knife, basically. Like chola bread or chola bread, I think. But it's, it's Mellish that pulls the knife out, gets his own knife, and and is then killed by a knife, and I think that's just a little nod to The that, beginning. Because that
0: he cries, doesn't he, when, yeah. uh, like, quite hard, when, about the knife and everything, and... Obviously, it is personal for everyone and everybody that's there, but I guess the fact that it's fascism against, like, his people, is against many people and many different minorities and and, etc. but it didn't need to happen. I mean, you could argue that for all of it, I guess, but... But the rap bastard could have saved him. He could have. 100%. He could have. He could have done something. And instead, he's just like... And then when the guy walks past him... I thought he was just going to kill him on the way out. Mm. um, And then he just leaves him because he's just like, oh, you're pathetic. I guess, like, you could argue that he comes through in the end because, yeah, he kills Steamboat Willie, but we're not even there yet because, oh, it's so frustrating. (laughs) Other parts happen. So Jackson gets killed by the tank that that, sort of just targets up at him. Not really anything he could have done about that, I guess.
1: There's a great bit where Sergeant Horvath comes across a German soldier and uh, they go to fire their rifles but they're both out of ammo mm. and the German soldier throws his helmet and he throws his helmet and they both get the pistols out and they're like, Arr! and it's kind of like the first to, to load it in and, and fire their weapon and eventually he gets a few shots off but he gets he gets sort of shot at the same time. I think he's shot in the, the leg or sort of just like the side. Um, so he's a bit hurt but he's Okay. And then he goes and grabs up and does not he off the stairs after that bit, but I, th- I thought the throwing the helmet bit was quite it was quite a good thing to put in because you think you use everything around you use all your resources and actually you know solid. I'll just launch my helmet because it's a big chunk of metal and it's gonna it's gonna hurt. So one does it and he does it and then it becomes a who's gonna get their
0: sidearm out the quickest and and use it. And it's woven in lighter moments again in like what's really heavy. It's like, it cuts it up nicely. Yeah. We get cuts of Captain Miller and Ryan sort of doing their bits as well. People sort of, they're doing the sticky bombs to the the bottom of the of the tanks. I keep getting flashes of Bands of Brothers in my head and I'm trying to like, <laughs> make sure I can differentiate between bits. But it basically culminates into them sort of, pushing back towards the bridge where they need need to blow up the bridge. And they're getting pushed back and pushed back by the Germans. As you said, Tom Sizemore's character sort of gets hit, but he sort of gets back. Uh, Captain Miller's like, you okay? Are you okay? And he's just like, yeah, I'm good. Or does he say, it's like I'm winded or something. i just something. got the wind knocked out of me.
1: Yeah, he's got a massive
0: hole in his chest. <laughs> but if it is just still there. This is where the Germans are sort of pushed forward and Upman is sort of hiding... Just by the side of them. And this is another part that was excruciating for me because he could have just stood up and just sprayed his weapon up. Done. (laughs) Over. But while they're still getting shot at. Like, yes, I know, in reality, he probably would have, you know, got killed himself or whatever, but does does that not frustrate you?
1: Oh, yeah, every time. Every time.
0: Because he's just right there.
1: But you can't. You can't change it, can you? He's just in fear.
0: And it's written, and again, like I'm not saying this to, to take away from the film because it's written to have that effect, and the fact that it can evoke that emotion from you just shows how invested you are into it. We get to a point where Tom Hanks gets hit, Captain Miller gets hit, and then he's basically given up, and he's shooting his handgun at the at the tank. And at this point, I was already shocked that he had been hit. I thought, well, he he can't die because I see him
1: as the old man as
0: the old man I was like <laughs> so he must survive but then it then the tank like blows up and there come the cavalry of, of the air support which is brilliant and I didn't expect that it very much yeah they, they sort of saved the day
1: the planes that sort of swoop in and, and stop them it's kind of just at the right time so it, it stops the the Germans crossing the bridge cuz the, the whole point of them doing what they're doing is cuz they need it's a strategic point because that's the only bridge that's left, so they need to try and keep the bridge whole to stop, the, but also stop the Germans coming over, and then him shooting his weapon, he just kind of thinks, there's nothing more I can do so I'm going to use every last bit of ammo every last bit of energy that I have to just fight them off and then he's firing that weapon, and all of a sudden one of his bullets just blows up this tank and he's like hang on a minute, he looks up and the aircraft fly over, you know the cavalry essentially start turning up giving them control back and and that's when when Riven starts calling for a medic and up and then appears
0: he he stands up holds them sort of to attention they sort of put their hands up and which he he says something in German that was was a good note that I liked about it was they they never put subtitles on ever Um, because it just because it was not necessary is it then there's steamboat Willie who has obviously come back and, and joined forces and was part of this and he just shoots him Yeah, and it's like okay. It says arrest him to bugger off, basically. Then we move to Ryan and Ryben are still left, and there with Captain Miller. And Captain Miller, as he's basically dying, says something in the ear of Ryan. Or he says, "Earn it," doesn't he?
1: Yeah, it says, "Yeah, James, earn this."
0: And then is that audible? When does he say it? And you can, yeah. And then okay, then he's at the memorial site, and he's like, "I hope." I made you crowd. And then he's crying. This also brought tears to my eyes because it's like, now I'm realising it's him. And then that, like, yeah, he's felt this pressure to be a good man. It's, it's the, the bit that got me is when he asked his wife, yeah. am I a good man? Not to be too sentimental. But I've had times like that where it's like you look to your wife or partner or whatever to... But you can get lost in things, and it's like, I, I feel like I'm a good guy. I feel like I'm. Am I a good man? And he sort. Of, and she says yes, and and then there we go. And and that's the film. Did I miss something? No, we
1: made it. <laughs> we made it to the end. As David Wright Ryan, we we jumped about a hell of a lot, but yeah.
0: I mean, it's also it's not like the most. There there is a lot of threads to it, and it's not the most sort of straight. I mean, it is quite straightforward actually, and it is quite a simple story, but. There, there is a lot, a lot to go on, a lot to go through. I just, I just want to make one point
1: about the, the cemeteries. Sorry, very quickly, because I said it's the Omaha Beach memorial. There is an Omaha Beach memorial, but it, it's the, the graves that are all there. They're essentially, it's uh, American war graves for American soldiers that are incredibly well kept and well maintained. By I think they're called like the American War Graves Association, and it's for like all soldiers that have. Died at that time over in France and are, are buried there. Um, so it wasn't just, you know, people on Omaha Beach that had died that are buried there. Although a high proportion are, it's you know people that have gone on. Like so, John Miller obviously died five or six days later and is buried there. And so you know in the film, and that's I don't think I made that clear earlier. I don't want people to think that we don't know that. It's mm. yes.
0: Well, I think trying to
1: keep it sensitive. That's all.
0: Yeah, completely. I mean, I feel like I've had a massive education within this and it's incredibly grounding and harrowing to watch and to believe that this happened, and obviously it did. And So let's get to our judgement of Saving Private Ryan. So, Dom, who would you say your best performer is within the main cast?
1: For me, it is Tom Hanks. I think... Most people would say that. I don't know if you're going to say that, but I, I think that most people would. He's demonstrates a good leader. He has his own problems. Because oh, one thing we didn't really talk about is the shakes. Yes, he's got the shakes, hasn't he? Which that we don't isn't ever really explained.
0: Yeah, so that's one of the first things we see in in the opening boat section, and then at the end, you see his hand stop shaking. Yeah. My my analysis or in, t- interpretation of that was that it was. Um, PTSD related but it could also I guess have been like early onset of like Parkinson's or something like that what did you see it as?
1: I thought it was like kind of yeah PTSD kind of shell shock not coping well but he also says at one point he doesn't know why it does it it's just something that happens you know when they're in the church and he's got his compass out and he's trying to look at maps and stuff like that and then it happens again where he says you know he's trying to keep Riven when Ryan says Oh, what's, is everything okay? So, oh yeah, just trying to keep rhythm. So he tries to hide it from from people. And then, yeah, right at the end, you just see his hand just not moving. So it's quite, quite a touching moment. But I have to say that his performance throughout it and the, the way he plays the character, I think it's just brilliant. I just love it. <laughs> I think they're all, they're all good in their own ways, but he, yeah, he's my favourite in it the whole way through. I'm not a big fan of Ryan.
0: Because, right. because you're not a fan of the character or you're not a fan of Matt Damon and playing really, the character
1: I really like Matt Damon I'm just not a fan of the character but I think that's the point I think because I've I've watched it so many times I've then got invested in these eight men that are going to save him and I, you, I think you get there and he's a bit of a, bit of a stroppy twat sort a bit of of like thing. a spoiled brat sort yeah. of thing and
0: they've you, gone through all of this to get him and then he's almost like not that he's unappreciative yeah. it's a bit like come on man Like <laughs> we've got a mission to do
1: exactly yeah so we, we're, we've we been sent here to come and get you and get you home we found you and we're going to take you and it's like well I'm not going anywhere I like right well you're a bit of a dick aren't you
0: mm, two people have just died to get here so
1: uh, yeah for me it's Tom Hanks as Captain John Miller what about yourself?
0: I would agree I think it's hard push to, to not say Tom Hanks my, my second of the main cast would be Giovanni Ribisi actually, um, because his death scene, I think he plays it really well. There is no bum notes at all amongst the, any of the cast, um, oh. but he, he was really good. And then um, Adam Goldberg playing Melish I thought was good, but I, I would say Tom Hanks as well. What about in the secondary cast? I mean, it's hard to sort of define who, who the secondary cast would be, but I guess maybe people that had shorter screen times and maybe like like a Paul Giamatti or a Ted Danson or, or some old, or like, second Ryan, not Ryan, Ira Ryan or whatever. I think
1: because they're the only ones that we've really come across, other than Steamboat Willie, they're, those three are, are kind of, you know, really good. I just think Steamboat Willie is probably the best out of the secondary cast maybe because you get more screen time with him but i think he you know plays the part well he he gets beaten up a bit he's then got to dig all these graves he's then basically has all these rifles and guns pointed at him and he thinks he's about to die and he's got to do absolutely everything to try and convince him that he likes america and i think yeah the the guy that did that played it really well and then he's you you know like hey you know stop pointing your gun at us at the end up and we're, we're you know we're friends remember and then he's dealt with I think in terms of secondary cast who has a bit more to play he's actually, he's actually really good
0: yeah I'm hard pushed to disagree for all of those reasons Boy yeah bad. it's true and you, you hate him in the end and especially if you confuse him with the guy that killed Melish. don't know who <laughs> would do that who would do that the music what did you think of the score by John Williams
1: always fantastic by John Williams isn't it and it always fits it always works and you know the the song of the beginning and the and the the music sorry the music at the beginning and the music at the end it's just brilliant it, it just works really well with the, the film and the type of film and the the mood and the the feel of it works for me
0: I agree um it's not it's not like my favorite score by John Williams it's not one that I, I used to anyway used to play a lot of John Williams while working because it's got no you know for the most part it's got no um, words to it I can like work to it but it's
1: it's not instantly recognizable. Or so.
0: yeah, it's a bit more of like a sadder uh, tone. Mm. Like it wouldn't be sort of getting me pumped up to like work or whatever. Yeah. It's brilliant music. What would you say your favourite scene is?
1: The Omaha Beach scene is, but just because of the all, all the things we've discussed about it, like the way it's filmed, and the first film to do that. I'm um, very hard. It's quite hard to watch because there's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of death. And there's a lot of you know, horrible things that happen, but it's the truth. So I think that's probably the best scene, or my favourite scene anyway. Sorry.
0: Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, I I would choose I choose a different one to be different i would say i like the sniper scene towards the end where jackson's like saying like the the prayers and everything i thought it was shot really well and yeah, i enjoyed that we've talked about about the themes underlying takeaways trivia the cinematography is obviously brilliant this is a pretty uh, open and shut question but would you recommend this film to somebody else
1: of course and i i like to think that i by doing this, I recommended it to you, and it's then got you looking into other things, so like Band of Brothers and stuff like that. Where I've mentioned Band of Brothers, and kind of you've said, well, what, you know, what's that sort of thing? You've heard of it and not really sure, and just convincing you to watch one episode has then spurred you on to watch another eight, and you've still got one left to go. So I, I think that's just the power of what Saving Private Ryan has done. Not me; I've I've not really said much about it. Other than I think they're brilliant, you you're the one that's gone and watched you know this film and then thought oh actually okay, I can't watch Bit of Band of Brothers and then you've just got into it so it's the you know the the power of Spielberg Tom Hanks and then all the people
0: involved in the creation of Band of Brothers as well well done HBO yeah <laughs> and and were you saying it's your favourite film as as big. Mm. Like and and I respect your opinion on films and TV etc. So and rightfully so, it is a brilliant film, and I, I too would recommend it. I've been talking to people. Well. I, I sent a clip of it to everyone I work with right, <laughs> about griping and stuff. So I, I think I agree. It's, it's a brilliant film. I, I After watching it the first time, I thought I'm not going to be able to watch it again. Like, I, I wanted to watch it twice to, to, to be as informed as I could for the podcast. But it was only the, the day after I couldn't stop thinking about it. So then like, I almost wanted to watch it again. Yeah. So I think it's one that you're left thinking about for a while after watching it out of 10 what would you rate it now we said before the podcast off microphone that in opposition of what we did in our previous episode that we're now going to do two ratings we'll do our objective rating what do we think stepping away from it just as a film overall and you know critically etc and then our sort of nostalgia rating to it of, of what it means to us and you know sort of more in a subjective manner so what would be your objective rating towards Saving Private Ryan out of 10
1: I think it'd have to be in the ballpark of 8.5 to 9 I'd still, I think it's still rated that highly I mean the fact that it won 5 Oscars and missed out on Best Picture because of Harvey Weinstein (laughs) and and caused controversy like you said at the Oscars and it's all political isn't it and it's all who's got the most amount of money and stuff like that and we know he's doing horrible dodgy things as well horrendous human being um, but yeah I think nine I'll go with nine as a, as a film as the, the historic you know the, the kind of factual history side of it but also the, the storyline of it the only thing that stops it being a ten in my eyes from an objective point of view is the mistakes in it Okay, with like three or four mistakes that it just like little editing mistakes which is, happens in films but that's probably the only thing for me that stops it from being a 10
0: and then what's your subjective
1: rating 10 <laughs> right. I, I, I love the film it's but well, it is my favourite film it's something that I used to use, I don't anymore but I used to use it as passwords right stuff okay. like that you know and just it, uh, like I said I could quote it I watched it every day it, it's just a film that's always stuck with me and that I've always liked I've always enjoyed will always watch on TV if it's on
0: did you did you watch it again for the podcast, like yeah. in the last week or so or whatever? Yeah, I watched it again. Did you find yourself watching it any differently to how you normally would in terms of trying to be more critical, or is it at this point you've seen it so many times it makes no difference anyway?
1: Uh, I think I I try to watch watch it as if I was you watching it, and to think, although I've seen it a thousand times before, like I've said, it's can I watch this with that? critical edge because i do love the film so much so can i can i take myself out of my own scenario of having watched it so many times and try and see it as someone who's seen this for the first time Or, or try and at least remember my first time watching it as i was watching it to to get as much of that newness and that feeling and that critical side of it as best as possible so that i could come to this podcast you know, with two different opinions with that objectivity so that we could then have a decent discussion about it rather than me saying, I love the film. It's great. Uh, we can then turn around and go, actually, this is good. I didn't like this bit. I really like that bit. This is my favorite scene. This is, th- this is really hard to watch. And, um, rather than just taking it as a film as a whole, there's bits that we can compartmentalize. is isn't
0: there? Uh, I would say my objective rating would be a nine. Um, and anything that'd be stopping me from giving it a 10 i guess is some of it is just really hard to watch which i I find the same with a lot of films that are going over sort of sensitive topics and things like this like 12 years a slave and films like that it's like they're brilliant but they're so hard to watch um for for obvious reasons which i guess is hard to sort of take a point off of it for because you know it's it's Yes, what it's about is, is showing that I guess and the, the stories and the, the courage and what went with it but I yeah I'd, I'd give it a 9 and then subjectively I'd give it a 9 as well so I'd, yeah it's a brilliant film I would highly recommend it to anyone that hasn't watched it I'd also highly recommend Band of Brothers though I've, I've still got the final episode to go but that has equally been brilliant and I've kind of seen it as just like a continuation or within the same universe
1: I've just thought so the, the closest I've come to crying, uh, a film, is actually Banner Brothers*.
0: Is it in the episode I haven't seen yet? It's
1: in the episode you're about to watch because. No spoilers. I'm not gonna ruin it, but it's at the end. Yeah, you know, no, actually, you know, you know, the men talking at the beginning. Um, oh,
0: the when it's like the documentary type section. Before yeah. It goes, so it's it's, it's the, the
1: it's the real people, people yeah. and they're talking. It's them at the end. Okay. I'll just I'll leave it there.
0: Well if you almost cried, I'm gonna to have to take like a day off of work. <laughs> <laughs> take the week. Yeah. <laughs> Final thoughts on Saving Private Ryan Dom.
1: I think it's a fantastic film. I think it revolutionised um the making of war films from that point onwards. And it's brilliant. And like you said a minute ago, I would recommend it to anyone and everyone just give it a go even if war films aren't your thing just try because it's not all about war it's not just blood and guts all the way through although there is quite a lot of it it's about the connection between the soldiers and then
0: what their mission is and if if you don't like Some of the more sort of graphic sections like you just have to get past that beach scene because after that it settles in to the to the characters like we said so yeah i i fully agree i'm really glad not only to to have seen it but to have have done it and done this podcast with you because i feel like i always have a greater appreciation for it for hearing sort of your passion for it so it's great i've enjoyed it Before we complete and conclude this podcast, we need to find out what film or TV show we will be doing for the next episode. At the end of each episode, the person that has done the deep dive into the film or TV show that we've just gone over will then tell the other person what they will be deep diving for the next episode of the podcast. So as I was the deep diver for Saving Private Ryan, Dom... For the next episode, you will be deep diving into, say, damn it, not saving Private Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Two episodes back to back. <laughs> you will be deep diving Celtic pride. Oh, interesting! I was not expecting that. Definitely switching it up more into. The comedy realm <laughs> for anyone that that doesn't know, or for a reminder, it's starring Damon Wayans, Daniel Stern, Dan Aykroyd. Light-hearted comedy surrounded around the Boston Celtics, Utah Jazz, and kid and kidnapping. <laughs> uh, have you seen Celtic Pride? I saw Celtic Pride, I, th- I think,
1: once with you at your house in the nineties. Excellent. So <laughs> that's that's my experience of it. So I I have.
0: Uh, a lot of research to do and re-watching excellent well that is what will be next thank you everyone for listening please rate review and subscribe to our podcast and we will see you next time
1: thank you very much everyone